Welcome to episode 29 of the Hike or Die Outdoor Adventure podcast. I'm here with Craig and we're sitting in the wilderness at the moment at an absolutely amazing campsite. Uh, in this episode we uh, interview Ross McGibbon who's a dangerous snake photographer but also he's an ex-snake catcher. So anything you wanted to know about snakes you're going to learn in this episode uh, he's a top bloke and he had some really insightful stuff um, to share with us didn't he craig for sure cool all right um we won't actually play the music now but when we get back in the studio we'll put the music in and then i'll kind of start about now Thank you, as always, to our regular podcast sponsors for their support. Topo Maps Plus, a phone application that allows you to view topographical maps and track your location even without cell phone coverage. Go deeper into the backcountry. Rios Floating Polarized Sunglasses with 100% UV protection for the love of water. Bluey Merino, Australian super fine merino wool base, mid, and top layer garments. Where our story ends, yours is just beginning. Caribbee, one of Australia's leading backpack, travel, and outdoor brands. They supply us with dry bags, waterproof day packs, and expedition bags. Supporting our sponsors allows us to continue to produce this podcast. So please jump online and check out what they have to offer. We'd first like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we uh, record this podcast and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners. Craig, how are you, mate? Hey, Tom, I'm good. This is what I like to do and we're doing it. Yeah, this is a bit, um, uh, how would you say it? Old school is probably not the right word, <laughs> but I've got a pen and, um, and printouts. Craig's getting attacked. I'm getting attacked by what? Some kind of hornet uh, or wasp in his face I've got paper uh, printed out with with information if you hear that or that throughout the show that's what that is uh, there are a few dangerous ants getting around and that's no exaggeration I thought you meant old school like getting back to how we used to do it we used to do a few of these oh yeah no, that's we? a good point as well yeah this is this is a bit of a return to that this is Craig in our first hike post-COVID, so it's very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and even pre-COVID, we had a few things that got, a few family matters that got in the way for both of us. So, I oh, know it's just fantastic to be here. Uh, we hiked, what was the total number in the end? Something around 13 to 15 yesterday, 15? Yeah, I don't have it with me, we, we measured it, but. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's in the vicinity of 14 or 15 kilometers. Very, very, very steep. Uh, it was definitely a shock to the system, and I appreciate all that, the training that I did. Yeah, it was a bit up your leg. <laughs> oh my goodness, I think the first, what, two hours solid were straight up. Up, yep. <laughs> uh, but we were, were rewarded yesterday afternoon by climbing down to a waterfall and uh, swimming in the pool below for a couple of hours, sleeping, or, you know, resting on the rocks and things like that. Mm. Yeah, it's magic. We've ended up having this campsite all to ourselves, mm. not too far from this um, huge waterfall with swimming holes. 
there's no water falling just to be clear yeah it's really dry but and i was thinking about that yesterday what do you what do you call it, a waterfall that's not what, what if someone just walked up here now and discovered this for the first time would they say oh i'm going to call this uh tom's waterfall or would they just say i'm going to call this tom's <laughs> rock pools tom's rock pools. tom's, tom's cliffs with rock pools that's probably what they would say <laughs> mate, i think you'd have to come here as, when it's got water to say it's called falls i think it would be a totally different experience those are big falls they're there. big falls what would they they'd be 40 foot especially that last one would be 40 foot oh, at least the one down to where we swam 40 or 50 foot drop uh that's a long way for water to fall that's why i was so scared climbing down yes mm. you were a little oh. it's all right there's a bit of a scramble down there but we're, we're here to tell the tale yes oh good uh i this is a little bit of my fault is I knew I had to get onto the quiz question but um, I thought oh no I'll, I'll do that later and worst case scenario when we get to because uh, Craig and I actually drove out here the night before last long story short camped in a campground packed the car up so we were ready to go early and I thought oh, I'll just I'll just work on the quiz question there, but I had no phone reception. Oh. Yeah, so it's it's all good though, because I'm going to replace that with a quote uh, that I saved on my phone, which I do have here. Apologies, guys. I'll be referring to my phone a lot of the time. Saved information. I found this quote uh, on... It was posted by just uh, someone we follow on Instagram called hikers rock a shout out to you hikers rock uh, you're 100% right there with your uh, with your name <laughs> uh, they posted a little <clears throat> a little quote and I don't actually know who Duskin, Duncan Trussell is sorry but it really rings a bell I'm, I'm reluctant to go any further than that because I always end up in the next episode saying that I said something wrong I just think Duncan he's... Duncan Trussell. Duncan Trussell. Yeah. yeah, he's a comedian from America. Okay. Pretty good. sure. Pretty sure. Okay. I'll probably say something wrong there. I hope... I hope right, better you so, than me. Better you than me. But um, <laughs> the quote is fantastic, and I'll just read it out to you. Some poor phoneless fool is probably sitting next to a waterfall somewhere, totally unaware of how angry and scared he's supposed to be. <laughs> that's nice dude that's awesome right yeah yeah it's just so worth sharing that that is good so yeah thanks hikers rock for the laugh that the morning that i saw that pop up in the feed that's very good i've certainly highly, certainly highly accurate certainly felt the transition coming out here eh? yeah yeah just moving away from those sort of yeah social norms that's yeah what, that's what we come out here for it is we, we, we do come out here and then we chat about all the shit that goes on at home, but um, it is nice to get away from it, eh? It is. It's, it's valuable. Um, That's what I know that a lot of people that are experiencing lockdown in various parts of the world... Uh, yeah, we were talking about that, eh? Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult to, to get into an outdoor space. And to be honest, I think that the, the, the therapeutic benefits that we need are, are found out here uh, for many reasons the fact, like i said before that my phone didn't even work when i was at the 
base camp site, mm. let alone here. I've got nothing here. But um, so from there's been a whole day yeah. so far that we've had no contact. Three days without the phone. That's there's a, nothing wrong with that. Pretty. pretty Although cool. I am using it to reference notes. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I just didn't want to, to be honest, uh, I didn't want to waste paper printing everything out, so I just printed out the essential stuff and I've just got screenshots on my phone. Cool, cool. So that's how we're running, guys. If it sounds a bit clunky, it's because, well, it's always clunky. What are you, yeah, what are you surprised? Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, Craig, I'm going to start hitting the news, <coughs> but are you able to start hitting that coffee for us? Oh, yep, yeah, we're ready for that. I will I'll light up this thing and we'll get this, this is, I just want to say, before you light that, mm. there's many, many beautiful sounds in nature while we're out here. And I was thinking the other day about the most beautiful man-made sound in nature when I'm hiking is this lighting the stove oh the lighting the stove and then what about the clinking of the handle too we'll the clinking we'll of the handle yeah we'll do that one yes that I said that one to you last night didn't I yeah but do the lighting of the stove I'll shut up but I've got a flint it's gonna no that's alright because you're still going to hear that just don't Craig shits himself <laughs> when he <laughs> when he light he, every single time he flinches you got your hand over the gas that's alright I've got to turn it on You hear that? That is that that is. A, does anyone know uh, Pavlov's dog? The theory behind that. Mm. Look it up. It's very interesting. Absolutely. Uh, long story short, he. Uh, I don't know if whether you'd call him a scientist or whatever, but he discovered that uh, you could trigger emotions just by ringing this bell, and feeding his dog it would salivate and then after a while he would just ring the bell and the dog would salivate even if the food wasn't there. Well that sound there to, is Pavlov's dog to me. And this yeah. one, here's the here's next the one. Other one. That's the sound of locking in the handle. Locking the handles in on the, the uh, crux. How would you say that? The, the pan, the pot, yeah. the pot of the uh, camping stove that we both use. That's such a hiking sound. That's such a hiking sound for us because we've used the same model for years, years, years. Right, anyway, this. Craig's got the water on. There's a bit of wind coming in there. Bear with us. Alright, here we go. News. This is a headline. Cougar stalks man. I know what you're thinking. Don't go to those kinds of nightclubs. <laughs> 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 it's... It's not about that. It happens. It's uh, that there's an absolutely fantastic video that this guy recorded. Uh, I believe it was off his iPhone or GoPro uh, of a cougar in, in the US. Obviously, um, for some reason, again, it's that situation where it had a, a young with it, and as he passed by or got within the vicinity, it noticed him and it took particular interest to him. The mother did, and it, it went at him and started coming real close and he kind of turns around and he's talking to it and saying, don't come, you're not interested in me and walking backwards, walking backwards, maintaining eye contact while he's filming very calmly. But there's two things that that shocked me about this video. Uh, the first one is how long, how long it followed him for. 
This video goes for, I'll try not to exaggerate here, but in the vicinity of five minutes or mm. something, it continues and continues and continues. And the, and the whole time, the furthest away it is, is probably 15 meters. So, and then the other thing that shocked me was it was doing these faux charges. So these displays of, um, of aggression and it would run at him and pull both paws out to the side, make it, and then just bare its teeth and go, and mm. and come out with him within five meters or six meters of him, and uh, it did this again and again and again, and but not attack. No, no, it didn't. It didn't attack. But uh, what was really cool was I, I then did a bit of research on it, and have you ever heard of Forrest Galante? No. He's. It's hard to say exactly what he is. But I believe he has a TV show where he travels the world. Uh, if something's extinct or believed extinct, he'll travel to that part of the world and put together a massive expedition to see if they can find uh, one of these yep. things. Yep. Uh, so he's always in the outdoors. And if you look on his Instagram page, he's always handling crazy lizards and spiders and, and snakes and crocodiles and stuff. So they did an interview with him on a, on a particular TV show and asked him about it. And um, he explained it all and he said what that guy did was perfect, absolutely perfect. Everything he did was perfect. And there's one particular point where it charges him. And of course I'll put the video on um, show notes. But he decides that the only way to kind of stop this is to be aggressive towards the cougar and he has to try and squat down find a rock decent size on the ground and the second he drops eye contact this thing attacks again like it's just so tuned into mm. that predator mode where it's looking at his face and his eyes the second he di dipped his head to grab a rock it comes tearing on in anyway mm -hmm. he, he throws a rock in its direction and it kind of snaps it out of that it snaps it out of that curiosity mode and it turns around and trots off and it's all good but uh it's full props to how calm this guy was wow and walking backwards up a hiking trail with a pack on squatting down picking up rocks throwing them and filming right that's better than i could ever do yeah it's cool you filmed it jesus yeah it's it's good watch too yeah, to see that um the display that this cougar puts on uh, it, this is all, uh, this kind of feeds pretty well into what we're, this is all fear-mongering stuff that, that just seemed to pop up recently. Listen to this headline. Hikers discover bear-eating man at Great Smoky Mountains campsite. Now, I just want to clarify that. I think it's not a bear-eating man. I think it's a bear-eating a man. I don't think they walked into a campsite and there was a guy eating a bear. Okay, so hikers discover bear eating man at Great Smoky Mountains campsite. Uh, listen to the lead into this article. This is horrific, and I'm I'm not trying to make light of it. I guess I'm trying to make light of it. It's a terrible yeah. situation, but I'm not um, being horrible. Trust me. A group of hikers. Are oh, the waters on the boil? It's slightly more important than news. No, tell us the story. Uh, 
A group of hikers in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park ended their trek in horror after discovering a bear dining on human remains. Wow. Imagine that, like, that'd yeah, be that'd similar be to, to us getting back to our car and just as we get back to the car tomorrow afternoon, there's just just fine. the dude there getting... So there's um, what I think slightly misleading again in this, I don't know who wrote this article, what I think slightly misleading again, it says they discover a bear dining on human remains. That kind of paints a picture of that. He has a little tail on his lap and he's he set mm. it all up. I don't believe that was the case. I think he, he was eating a man. Yeah, it would have been pretty gruesome. Well, yeah. listen to this. Um, uh, where was it? Oh, yeah, so they, in, they appeared to what appeared to be a deserted, sorry, they passed by what appeared to be a deserted campsite uh, where they encountered a scattering of body parts. Oh. That's just, people complain about Australia being dangerous. Wake up to yourselves. This is incredible. Yeah. Now, the reason I, I did kind of stick with doing this, I even thought about crossing this story out last night when I was reviewing the notes, was there's a really, I guess, important uh, message at the end of the article where the Great Smoky Mountains website warns park goers to avoid coming within 50 feet of black bears, uh, which are native of the region. If one is spotted running towards you, making loud noises or swatting the ground, don't run, but slowly back away, watching the bear. Uh, increase the distance between you and the bear. The bear will probably do the same. I'm not for a second saying that the, that guy didn't try any of that. We don't know the circumstances. And in a, in a very interesting point that they make, it's actually not 100% uh, confirmed that the bear killed him. Okay, so this may mm. not have been a bear attack. Mm. Could have been, he could have had a heart attack uh, and died at his campsite and then the bears come in. So we don't, we don't know that, but uh, yeah, gruesome stuff, eh? Yeah, pass, geez. Pass me your cup, buddy. Yeah. No, that's horrible. <laughs> that's horrible. Absolutely. We could get um, a, a whole bunch of these ants jump on us and take us out. Oh, imagine that and someone finds the, oh, I'll take the water. Someone finds the audio later and it's a, because we take a long time for these ants to eat us. It it's about a, a 24 hour saga of us squealing, writhing in pain. Mm. Ouchie! Mm. Oh, oh, don't bite me there. <laughs> oh, you just took a chunk out of me. <laughs> and then kind of looking over you and go, Craig, do something. <laughs> Help. <laughs> what do we do now? Yeah, I, we're lucky in Australia, eh? Go a bit further north, we've got the crocodiles. Yeah, there's things that are going to mess you up. So I'm just trying to pour into this plunger. And I guess what leads nicely is snakes. Yeah, well, that's what I was... Uh, I'll get to later, but that's Please what I was kind will. of... Um, just getting this coffee. I'm using... Uh, shout out to coffeeworks.com.au. They sent us this uh, kind of outdoor coffee plunger of sorts it's like an insulated mug it's epic and you pour i put fresh grounds in there this morning this morning what am i talking about put fresh grounds in there just then 
and poured the water in over the top and then I got to push the plunger down in a few minutes and then enjoy my delicious mm. coffee thank you yep little plunger coffee I'm having a little almost espresso these things these things are great yeah espresso it's what I used on the overland track how would you say that that's pronounced I always say wakako or okay if you say it in American accent it's probably wakako wakako Wakako. Mini Presso. Um, yeah, the Mini Presso, I'm sure everyone's familiar with them. Yeah. Um, they know, word of a lie, the shot that comes out of them. It's real good. <laughs> the crema on top. And we're not even sponsored by these. I'm just, I'm just, it's nah. just a, a fact. They're, they're a little bit tedious. There's a bit of work involved in cleaning. You're, you're about to hear some strange Did sounds. Water, didn't I? Yes, I don't I think. Do I see you pour water in? What have I done wrong? Oh, it's upside down. You just about to squirt the hot water in your face <laughs> and the lid's on. Yeah, so Craig's only just, you know, just learning how to use this. Hang on, this. I do know how to do this. It sounds like your knee's squeaking again, mate. That's what it sounded like walking up the hill with you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's okay, why Craig's I'm doing a shot. I'm going to keep going because this right. is awkward. Come <laughs> on. It sounds weird, man. Uh, this is a cool story. And in, it's a very long article, so I'm only going to pick out certain points. But, so the headline of this article is in, is this Aboriginal um, Budjbim volcano tale the world's oldest story? Budjbim volcano Budj, tale. Budjbim, uh, that's my rough uh, approximation of how okay. it would be pronounced. Um, is it the world's oldest story? Now... What this article has done, uh, if you listen to our last episode, coincidentally, um, we learnt from uh, Dwayne Bannon-Harrison, who's uh, Indigenous Australian, that it's very important because there's so many um, dialects and um, groups of Indigenous Australians across the country, it's very important that you mention what group you're talking about just to kind of acknowledge that group. So it's really good in this article. Um, last night at the start, I thought, oh my God, they haven't mentioned it, but then down further. Um, now I'm going to try and pronounce this. The Gundmara, Gunditmara is probably the closest I'll ever get to it without being someone helping me. Uh, so those, the Gunditmara people live in Victoria in Southeast Australia. Uh, and what's happened here is researchers have come up with a novel approach to trying to gain some information about how far back the Indigenous Australian um, people go, right? And so what they did was this particular story, I'll just quickly touch on it here, and apologies if I get anything wrong here but I am reading straight from um, somebody else's article they have a story of four giants who came to their ancestral homeland three left but one remained here and squatted down uh, his body transformed into a volcano called Bujbim and his teeth became the lava the volcano spat out so in the area of Jeez, uh, I have to keep referring to it. The Gunditmara people. There's a, a massive um, volcano, 
And what they've realized is by talking to the indigenous people and also understanding how strong their stories are throughout time, okay. what they've worked out is they were there for that eruption, eruption. Or something yeah really. so then they're able to go and look at the uh, you know the solidified lava carbon date that and say well if you saw that you were obviously here you couldn't have possibly made up this hmm. this story yeah. and second to that when they were digging around they found a stone axe head underneath the lava wow. so it was there before so these people watched that volcano explode, which predates. Uh, have you got the Have you got the dating on it? Yeah, I don't want to read the dates because I've read a few articles, and you know, in respect to the interview we did last podcast with Dwayne, there's constantly uh, changes. There's constantly changes, you know, year by year. They're discovering more ways to try and pinpoint it. And I don't want to, you know, in any way say that what we were talking about in the last podcast wasn't accurate at the time. Uh, so I'll politely decline that one, mate. Uh, researchers believe that Aboriginal stories are very old. This is based on references to sea level, sea levels in myths that have been proven by science to have occurred about 7,000 years ago. Uh, however, the Gunditmara story would be many times older than that, uh, given that they know how long ago that mm. volcano erupted. But isn't it just... I just thought, how cool is that to maintain, and it does mention this in the article as well, to maintain that level of uh, detail and knowledge of the country by passing it on, because there's no written... They, I mean, they do have their cave paintings... Um, but there's no written form, mm. so it, it's all word of mouth, and it's all mm. yeah. Even that one one point there, seven thousand year old uh, story about tide levels, and they found scientific evidence at, of that time that it happened, mm. and they've preserved that in a in a in a um, what do they call it? like a creation story of sorts I think is how, how Dwayne would refer to them mm -hmm. so yeah and that's why it's important to mention the people that live in that area that it's their their story because it's not to be confused with another group's story that's right no, the traditional stories are fascinating aren't they and their um, longevity as well yeah the longevity is mind blowing that's really cool I never really thought of it as a as something that you could bank on but that's cool well mm. that was interesting that's it for news I'm going to move into well it's kind of shout outs but it's also well it is it is it's people that have been contacting us we had a big a big gap again in in putting out episodes and with everything going on around the world people that took the time to reach out to us I was just humbled now Craig doesn't know about these things I don't sometimes I'll mention them to him in conversation but I don't read stuff out to him until we get to the podcast just to kind of keep it authentic 
Right, yeah, you don't tell me. You don't tell me. I don't really tell you anything. No, I, I literally don't. Just for anyone, I don't tell him what we're doing for news or anything. Uh, which is why he's always nervous. I am. And rightly so. I received. Okay, I'm going to put them in slight chronological order here. Okay, this was one of my greatest emails I've ever received in the history of doing. Really? The podcast, You've the website. Some good ones. I've received some absolute crackers. I'm going to be reading a few out that are absolute crackers, and I don't want to take any um, shine off those either because I appreciate every single one. But this one, you will under you will understand why what I'm talking about. Okay. Dear hike or die team. My name's Gianna, and I'm 11 years old. Oh wow. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I I really appreciate that and. I think at this point, Craig, you should feel really bad for swearing in earlier. I try not to swear. Yeah. At all times. I said the SH word today, which was, I think I'm just in a relaxed environment. I let it slip. <laughs> I'm just plunging my coffee. Sorry, back to Gianna's email. Behind my house, there's a lot of woods. I want to build some cool stuff back there. Any tips or advice? I hope you're doing well and staying safe. Please respond if you had time, if you have time. Gianna, that, that just made my, I said it to you, I, I wrote back, of course, I wrote back and, and um, gave her a whole bunch of tips on maybe what uh, what she should make down there and I sent her a few um, videos, I think one of them was Survival Lily, who's a bit mm. of a legend and makes some cool uh, outdoor kind of shelters out of stuff that she uses out of the wilderness. So. Uh, and then Gianna wrote back again and said, thanks so much for the advice and videos. I'm from the USA. I really appreciate you taking the time to respond to me. On so many levels, that warmed my heart. Like, on so many levels. The fact that um, Gianna's 11. I have an 11-year-old son and younger, and I just think that is just fantastic that you're, you know focusing on the the wilderness I love it and have an interest in any of that sort of bushcraft stuff yeah it's gold and the other one that we can't really avoid and I don't want to put I don't want to seem like I'm completely amazed but the fact that um, Gianna is a girl now this is an assumption if you've listened to the podcast before you'll know the ongoing joke with me reading names out of Are you things, sure? I'm not. I'm not sure. I can't be sure, but I've I've never met a Gianna that's, and maybe it's like a, I don't know, an Italian name for a boy. So possible. I mean, I'm just I'm just apologising now, so I yeah, don't even right. have to do it on the Anyways, next podcast. Get yourself. In. I am sorry, <laughs> but in my entire existence, that's no, a girl. Gianna is a girl. I'm with you. I'm alright. So. Props to being 11 and, and props to to not being scared to get out there and and do that. I just thought it was amazing. Yeah. Good on you, Gianna, and thanks so much. To, it's just nice to know that people are uh, people are appreciating the content and also that we need to really uh, make sure that we uh, keep a cap on what we say. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, Cecile 
That's how I'd pronounce it. Cecile <laughs> from Greenland. This is another problem I have. I'm getting, I get emails and 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 comments and stuff from all over the world, where every different name is pronounced differently. Uh, so I'm calling this Cecile from Greenland. She writes to say, I just want to thank you for a great podcast. I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you, Cecile. I just finished listening to your last episode. She said she was saving it for a rainy day, but she didn't quite get a rainy day, but her friend was supposed to come and visit her um, from the capital, and the flight got cancelled because of storms. So she thought it was a great day to put on the podcast. And of course, you probably need a whole day, don't you? <laughs> really? I mean, if you put in breaks, grabbing some food, grabbing another coffee, sitting back down and sunset, press and play again, that's a day gone. And a good day at that. <laughs> day well spent. Now, listen to this. Is this what just... You're the reason I'm gearing up for my first multi-day solo hike. I have no trouble doing day hikes by myself, but multi-days is always in the company of friends. Uh, I've been a bit weary about doing it myself. But hearing about your adventures, trips, meeting snakes and such, it hit me that the most dangerous animal I'll meet are humans. In brackets. And hikers are mostly nice people in my experience. Yeah, you're probably right there. Probably right. We've only, yeah, let's see, we've only met a couple of strange ones. Yeah. A uh, mission for 2021 is when she gets back to Denmark, she'll start prepping for her first multi-day solo hike. Oh, wow. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's just, I was talking to Craig about this yesterday. I said, you know, you've got to be careful that you're not producing content like this just for the sake of your own um, ego. And But to hear that th this these people are benefiting from the knowledge, these people are mm. building their own passions and drive to get out there and do stuff, is uh, it's humbling. And it, I like I said to Craig, did I not? I said that's the reason that we have we have to continue is because yeah. we almost have a duty now to try and introduce more people into the wilderness. Yeah, it's rewarding and it's good sharing this stuff with others to realise that there are people that are getting just that, like you, just like you, getting to the next level with that's this. It's a fantastic point, mate. Yeah, it's that's great. a fantastic point that these people writing in are beginners. It's okay if you're a beginner and listen to this podcast. We we don't consider ourselves beyond intermediate I would think yeah if, if you ask me seriously I'd say we still got a lot to learn but uh, we've just done a lot of stupid things and not died that's it that's the it. name Michael or die <laughs> um, Cecile very kindly um, signs off thank you for all your humor uh, we don't we're actually not humorous people everything we say is 100% serious so not mm. sure about that mm. great stories and interesting guests Take care in these difficult times. Cecile, in brackets, female. Oh, so, I love it. Thank you very much. That's great you did that. Yep. I'm having a sip of my coffee just to let that sink in. <laughs> Cecile or Cecily? Cecile. At least I know we're talking about a she. Hey, mate. Uh, yeah. um, do you mind if I steal a dash of milk off you? I was going to say that it's right there. You can yeah, it saves it. me don't muck around don't. with mine. Uh, we've got another cool email there. That'll be nearly done and then open that one. Okay, I might not need much. No, go for it. That was like nothing there. Go for that. 
Yeah, we got an email from Bjorn. Bjorn from the Netherlands sent me an email. That's good. Uh, I'm just trying to manage putting a dash of milk into my coffee, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that sound, oh. Is it, that's the sound of milk no pouring good. over the ground. All over the ground. They don't make those things to pour. They make those things to waste, so you have to buy another one. Yeah. Let me see if I've got enough milk. Oh, not, not even close. Get I'm feeling milk. like I need some today. There we yeah, go. Go for it. <coughs> okay. In these awkward pauses, guys, just enjoy the serenity. There's a few um, magpies. Is a type of bird that was one of their babies was doing a call. Oh, little just snake. Look. Oh wow! See it climbing through there. That's cool, man. I'm just gonna go film that. I'm just gonna go film it. You got your phone? Oh, I do. I'll just grab it. It's going up into that. I'm going to give live commentary. This, Craig, you'll start filming now, mate, so I can, uh, so I can give commentary. Okay, Craig looked out to the right as I was kind of saying that, and 50, oh, it's going down off the back. It came back down off the log towards the waterfall. Can you see it? Yeah, yeah, it's, but it, it, I think it dropped back down. Well, we'll have a look on the log in case I was wrong. I thought I saw its tail drop back down. Yeah, come around this side and make sure it didn't go into that log. If it didn't, it dropped back down and went straight down towards the falls. He's gone. Well, that was a bit of uh, excitement. I can't believe, I can't, I'm just thinking now, I can't believe this is the Ross McGibbon snake photographer episode. That's right. We're sitting here. See, this wouldn't happen in the studio. We just At had a little I pause and it. you said in Serenity, I look around, there's a snake. But it was just moving fast and... Um, yeah, he was on a bit of a mission. He got out of the way, he's gone over the edge. Sorry guys, I could have Instagrammed a little bit of footage, but... Not today. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that was well spotted. Mm. Oh, that's good coffee. That's the first time I've used that plunger. That that does a good job. Works well, yeah. That's great. Okay, wow. Uh, just kind of out of sorts. That's cool. That is so cool. And we just finished reading... Um, Cecile's email that mm. said you guys run into snakes. Mm -hmm, Heck we do. yes we do. Heck yes we do. <laughs> and we keep ourselves composed and keep podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't see any yesterday, but remember we heard that one? When, we yeah, heard that one. And that off. sounds stupid to some people, are you what you heard a snake? The difference between <clears throat> hearing a snake and some kind of lizard or something is you can hear a lizard will scurry and there's a definitive kind of a pitter patter. But with a um when you hear a snake in the leaves, it's like someone dragging a power cord or a piece of rope through the leaves. It's a continuous kind of scratching sound, if that makes sense. So we were walking, hiking down the path yesterday and just on the edge of the path, a meter or two ahead of me, I heard 
that sound go away from the path. Uh, didn't see anything, but it makes perfect yeah, sense that it was coming out to sun itself and then heard our footsteps and did a U-turn and took off. So th- this leads perfectly into, as you'll, as you'll hear in the podcast, is the one that snake yesterday just turned around and did a U-turn and took off before we got there. And this snake today, uh, m- no doubt was aware of our presence through our voice. Um, was checking out a hollow log and then as soon as Craig approached he he'd kind of th- thought better of it and turned around and went so it's not like we these things are out to get us but anyway let, let me continue <laughs> oh jeez man back on track back on track so yeah Bjorn, Bjorn sent me a email from the Netherlands he says he's been spending hours listening to the podcast and it keeps him stoked to plan adventures uh, outside of his own country in brackets the flattest part of the world called the Netherlands <laughs> uh, I laugh at that he said he recently went on a trip to France and hiked the Tour de Mont Blanc and made a film about it and he actually uh, sent me the link to his YouTube video and said if you have time to watch you know, let me know and let me, all feedbacks appreciated I watched this this video Craig and and I thought oh wow this this, this guy's this is epic like it's really really good like really good I'm not I'm not just saying that it was a really good video yeah and I and I just throw it back and said oh my god this is, this is fantastic mate like um well done and then I'm I'm pretty sure after that he wrote back and said oh yeah oh thanks it was my first time doing a video like that and I and then all of a sudden I felt really bad because I thought my goodness your skill level is it took me years to get to that just the storytelling in there editing and all that um so well done mate it's a good video and i'm definitely going to put that on the show notes for everyone to go and check out if you want to see um bjorn doing the tour de mont blanc sounds good yeah yeah that's really cool you you obviously you'll watch it as well craig but um we'll check that it's a bit hard to show you any previews of it out here at the moment uh where's my notes to see something i'm in paper notes guys the real world Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, before I get to, I got two bits of gear to talk about, which doesn't often come up these days, but two interesting things I saw, a little, little bit gimmicky. Not my camp shoes. Um, <laughs> dude, there's really... Okay, no, don't talk, go there. No, go, no, hey, far out. I'm going to get... I was just having a joke with you, no, an in-joke. I need, you can't do an in-joke when you're broadcasting to the world. I've got tell some us about really, your shoes. really cool camp shoes. I'm not going to tell anyone what they are. I've just, just got some camp shoes because we often arrive and uh, this was a, a beginner problem was that you didn't realise you needed something when you get to camp to take your boots off and wear around camp. And I, I for years, just walk around in bare foot. I don't know if it's a beginner problem. or an, I think it's a, a... No, I think it's half stupid... Well, it's, you can't say it's stupidity because some, you some people will never... They'll think you're stupid for buying them. They'll think I'm stupid because I bought um, a pair of Crocs with me, which some people will just unfriend me right now, but <laughs> they're kick-ass. Crocs are good. Yeah. Uh, no, the, sorry, the point I was getting to was I remember thinking, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I had shoes to wear around the camp? And I remember thinking two things for years and years. One, it takes space and weight 
two. Don't be such a sook. What are you, oh yeah. What's wrong with you? You <laughs> baby. Just yeah. put your put your boots on and wear your boots. So for years and years I'll leave my boots underneath my hammock or outside of my tent. And if I have to get up in the night to go to the toilet or go do some I just put my boots on but sometimes they're wet. Sometimes they're wet and um, then I have to check them in the middle of the night for um, spiders and scorpions and stuff and then the other thing is during the day you don't want to be wearing socks hanging around the camp so you have bare feet and then you want to walk back to the toilets and you would put bare feet in your boots but you don't want to lace them up so you leave the laces this sounds like I've, such I've got, a dilemma man. I've got a, it is a dilemma. I've got a feeling it's just that maybe you and I missed something along the way and everyone else is already onto it yeah you've got to have mm, possibly yeah I, I think it, a lot of people on that Tassie trip Adam like that's what they walked around heaps of people had a pair even if it was a pair of thongs, thongs flip flops whatever you want to call them just rubber anyway rubber I, sandals I pulled out these fancy exped um you said you weren't going to say. Oh, I know. Oh, you've blown it. Now camp. people can Google <laughs> X-Fed camp shoes and see how... So special. It um, looks like he's got a miniature sleeping bag on each foot. I have. I've got two little sleeping bags. He walks around bags. with sleeping bags <laughs> on so his soft. feet. You, you just need just one of those, um, you know, those kind of onesie sleeping bag suits? Yeah, that's what I've got, yeah. You get one of those with the, with the hood, then... Pretty much. Then you could to... put those shoes on, and then at night time you just get well, into bed. Up into bed. You yeah. don't even do anything. You just get into bed, and then when you get up in the night, you just get out of bed. You walk <laughs> around with your sleeping bag on. It's great. Anyway, no, I, ha I had some other things I'd, I'd clicked on, and then I think I had to get the shipping up over a certain, uh, over a certain <laughs> price for free shipping. I went, I'll get them. And they, well, look, that's my excuse. But um, I was going to say, this sounds like... I had like to have a, an excuse. Yeah, it sounds like a bit of a, a wind-up here. I don't know if I 100% uh, believe that. Anyway, they're very comfy. They're very special. It's a luxury, luxury item. What were your uh, gear gear uh, reviews or gear issues that you've been talking about, mate? Issues? What are you bringing up today? You said you got things no, to No, 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 gear. About. I, there's gear, you know, like in the gear section of the podcast. Okay. Well, um, it shouldn't lead with X-Bed slippers. No, I'm not sure if you... You've ever listened to the podcast before? We sometimes we do a gear segment. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. All right, all right. Uh, no, no, your I don't think your shoes are part of it. No. That's not a lead-in. Good. Just for the record, you can listen back. You're the one that mentioned it, <laughs> not me. Oh, that's been new. I was just thinking if I brought any new gear. <laughs> no, I don't have anything. We'll get get to that anyway. Okay, uh, let me go through these. <clears throat> Jerry on Instagram sent us a message. Jerry uh, very kindly writes to us um, every now and then and yeah, kind of gives us a bit of a serve. She's great. <laughs> Jerry uh, says in this message she sent me recently, your comment on the last podcast about trying to streamline the introductory stuff made me laugh and then she's got the three emojis with the crying laughing and I thought for a second, oh, um, I don't know, I don't get what's funny about that. And then I thought about it a bit more and I thought, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, she knows that we could never do a short intro. No chance. <laughs> I think it's a stab at us 
It's a slap in our face. Uh, and and I'll take that slap in the using face. Using her message to lengthen this section. Yeah, so Jerry, you, yeah, you're actually lengthening our podcast by the sending problem. these yeah, messages in. Why, why you always keep sending me messages? Don't listen to that part. That I Don't stop sending them. No, that's it. good. That's good. It, it keeps us motivated. I've said this before. It keeps us on track. keeps us knowing what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear, how much you want to hear it, and uh, it's great. Thank you. She also says, uh, she goes on to clarify, just so you know, I dig it. Now, she just recently uh, sent her son off to Marine Boot Camp, uh, which I said, you know, that's that's fantastic. Like, you should be very proud of that. I'm sure it's a big moment. But now she's, the, the, the home front's a little bit quieter because uh, the son's off training. So she said uh, she's grateful for the banter and conversation. And uh, thanks for educating me for a couple of hours. That's um, very kind, Jerry, and, and as I said, um, big props to your son for that, for his efforts as well. Okay, here's where it all started. This is um, this is just a quick one here, but um, full circle. Robin, Robin is where it all started. Robin Robin sent me a, a very kind email must have been like the start of the year or something and uh, he um, he just signed it off Robin mm-hmm. and I got I jumped on the podcast and said she has sent me an email yeah, and yeah. her and yeah. all of this sort of stuff and then uh, months later we did a live podcast and uh on we broadcast it on youtube and everyone was jumping in with comments and questions about what they wanted us to talk about and then robin jumps on joins the party joins the party which i'm hugely grateful for it was such a good time we need to do it again sometime and uh says and there's a comment it was something like robin equals male or something (laughs) and i'm reading it as we're talking, and if you go back and listen to that episode, you 100% there's that definitive moment where I go, oh, hang on a second. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Just let me scroll back in the comments. Oh, my God. Robin is a man. That's just, This is where it I'm all started. I'm glad you want to relive that moment. This is where it all started. So every time, you, if you're a new listener, every time you hear that, someone's signing off an email or a comment by saying in brackets male or female that that is a stab at me yep it hurts my feelings yep. it's the, it'll never die no um i'm gonna get t-shirts made with that on mm-hmm. male in brackets, in brackets male hike or die in brackets male male or female yeah yeah, yeah. uh let us know if you want those and uh, i'll get them done that's yep. a fact yeah uh he sent me a, this um screenshot of um a salomon Ad, and there's a guy with a with a big kind of red beard and and the, the hood of his jacket pulled over and he's in the rain and he said I thought I recognized the beard but I'm pretty sure it's not you if I'm not mistaken <laughs> and he said being a Salomon ad I said no oh, that's 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 not me but I even I did a double take yeah cool. on that one um, but yeah Robin again thanks man just for touching base and saying everything you know he writes and says everything all right there in Australia warm regards from Sweden by Robin 
the man and uh, everyone seems to use the laughing emojis with me <laughs> thanks Robin uh, glad you're still out there mate causing me pain Ah, oh, this is a quick shout out as well, a very quick shout out. Um, Roland, who kindly um, supplies us with all of the uh, coffeeworks.com.au coffee and the plunger that I'm actually using right now. Uh, it's recently had a, a pretty serious kind of operation on his back. Um, he's all good and, and out and, and back, uh, in, you know, just get back into things but obviously it put a dampener on him getting outdoors and and in his work and everything but I just wanted to say um, out loud mate um, I hope the recovery is going really really well and I hope that um, it, it's it's smooth and you can transition back into getting outdoors mate and and also thanks for the plunger it's it's awesome yeah, all the best this is a fantastic one um, a guy called, this is dating back a little bit now, but um, a guy called Geordie, and I know it's a guy, I know it's a guy, see Geordie, I, I've met girls in my life called Geordie, okay, mm. but thankfully Geordie sent this from his Instagram and I was able to quickly go on Instagram and Geordie is see a, picture. a guy, yeah, yeah, so... <sighs> avoiding another episode <clears throat> he says he only found out about the podcast a few months back and he's listened to every single episode which is uh, again I just it just blows my mind I really appreciate it yep. he says he absolutely loves it he's been hiking cycling and climbing most of his life and he's learnt so much listening to the podcast which <clears throat> I still kind of think that the way people are learning is because we're saying we just made a stupid mistake mm. like with your camp shoes story i think that's how people are learning but They're just putting it together with what they already know it, yeah just, just kind of polishing off uh, a thought that they might have already had about something and uh, i guess we do give you know references to other people who know what they're talking about but either way uh it's just fantastic to hear he says he looks forward to future episodes and Good. um Thanks, Geordie, mate. Really appreciate it. Um, I hope that <clears throat> you enjoyed the last couple and and hope that you really enjoy this one because uh, I know that Geordie's from Australia. Excuse me. <clears throat> At least I'm not coughing into a microphone tonight. No, different. Today, rather. Yeah, I know Geordie hikes in Australia, so the snake oh. threat's very real. So he's going to love this one. Yeah, true. Thomas sent me a message again in Instagram Thomas Eagle <sighs> no 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 a, a, a Thomas we've never spoken to oh. um, just want to express my appreciation for the podcast I'm a high school kid in the US the podcast motivated me to get out and hike like nobody's business Wow, mate hiking like nobody's business <laughs> is beyond hiking that's that's a good level of hiking. That's how I, we kind of hiked. Yesterday we hiked like nobody's, nobody's business. business. Absolutely. We blasted past people who were hiking like they were hiking. And, but we were hiking like nobody's business. I, I reckon as we, we went past, that they were foreigners. I don't know if you caught their accent, but mm. they would have said in whatever language they share, 
man. Those guys were hiking like nobody's, nobody's business. Nobody's business. Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> and it wasn't their business. No. It was our business. So, good. He usually tends to get out for a couple of hours of hiking, but he's hoping to be able to hit some overnighters in the future. Thank you, guys. Again, um, we're talking about uh, a teenager. Again, Craig, you got to watch your language, and we've got to watch our adult themes. <laughs> The uh, sorry about the cougar comment at the start of the show, Thomas. You won't know what that is. Don't worry about it. Uh, it just it just shows me the span of the demographic that we're reaching. And and mate, honestly, Thomas, get out there, do it safely, um, do it the right way. There's a there's a whole episode I'm sure you're familiar with on safety, <coughs> and that includes telling people where you're going. How long you're going to be gone exactly what route you're taking and uh if possible taking an epurb um plb sort of thing but it's great i just love it i just love it it's fantastic mate get out there um joe uh, um joe sent us a message on facebook this was a little while back and i actually haven't got around to posting his photos <clears throat> on our insta stories but i will he was the proud winner of a uh, Caribbean cap that was um, a prize from, I think last year it was. I love it. Um, we sent, I must have sent about 10 of them around the, around the world, yep. all different continents. <clears throat> and he took it up to, um, he, he promised, when he got it, he said, I, I promise you I'm going to take it on a 14er, which... Um, is a 14,000 plus feet mountain. We don't really use that term in Australia, but it's a big thing. People go in and tackle all the 14ers in, yeah, in yeah. the country. Oh, really? So yeah, he, he said, I owe you this picture from the top of um, La Plata Peak. You go there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you can't zoom in because it's just a screenshot, but yeah, he's get, sent us a few photos oh, right. that's, um, yeah, that's good. as proof wearing his Caribbean yep. hat. <laughs> Oh, that's good awesome. on you mate and uh then there's an actual video that goes with it as well of him doing a pan around which was um cool so i did ask him if i could post that and he said absolutely so i will get around to it i've been slack um then uh john who's obviously australian and obviously very local to us which i didn't realize john on uh on Facebook, check this out, Craig, mm -hmm. and then tell. Have a look at that picture he's posted. Okay, that's the top of Tippergargan. Well spotted. And he's put like a die across the picture. No, he's printed. I zoomed in. He's printed that out on a piece of paper or something, or uh. stuck it on something. It's printed out our logo. Climbed to the top of uh, one of the Oh, tools. so that's it's, he's no, holding no, no, that, that up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not um, that's not stuck on the screen. I'm sure of it. He I, took that. I, I'm, logo I'm ninety percent sure. It's I, like a piece I, of cardboard or something. I zoomed in and it looks like it's printed paper on some cardboard or something. <laughs> he's printed that out. Gone to the, one of the highest mountains in our local region, uh, which is a significant climb. Like it's a good effort, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he's taken a photo with that in the foreground and the, and some of the peaks that we've um. Well, one of the peaks in particular that we've climbed, but also um, in the way in the background there, we actually did a podcast intro from the bottom of that mountain, yeah, Mount yeah. Beerwa. 
So, and John, I've been to the top of Tibro, mate. I love it up there. It's a very special place, and good on you. Far out. That's yeah. incredible. He also, what started that conversation was he said, um, uh, well done yet again, lads. Uh, he really enjoyed that, uh, the last episode with Dwayne, Bannon Harrison, on all the indigenous stuff, which yeah. is pretty cool. So, on that note, I, I've had so much feedback from that around the world. Uh, on that particular episode. I was wondering how that went. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the same comments, um, Jennifer writes, great episode, guys. We have a similar issues with the Native American culture getting lost over here in the States. And that, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. It doesn't, sure, sure. doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but if, um, you know, if we're addressing, addressing things here, putting a bit of a lens on it and getting some clarity, then... It doesn't. All it can do is encourage other people to ask questions and uh, get to know their local indigenous people. I think that's all it can do. Um, mm. I reached out to the Gubby Gubby people who are of this area. Yep. Uh, span quite a long distance, actually, down to other places we hike near my place, like Mount Me and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just said to them, oh, I just want to let you guys know that we're uh, going to be hiking on your your ancestral land and just want to acknowledge that, um, yeah, we appreciate it and we'll look after it. Oh, I man. sent them a message uh, leading up to this hike. I don't think it takes much time. It um, It's just a simple gesture. Jode's... That's good. Sorry, I cut you off there, mate. No, that's good. And I like you going through this I, personally, of course. And then because this isn't YouTube where you can go down later and read all the comments on the, 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 y- yes, the episodes exactly. with the podcast, you don't get this. So, you know, you can skip through this if you're not interested. But I think it's really good to see what other people are saying about the podcast, isn't it? I think it is because people are bringing up points and quite often someone will bring up a, a tip, like a pro tip. Well, that's that, where it is. Yeah. yeah. And we go, oh, guys, you know, we were talking about Craig's ridiculous camp shoes and how silly he looks and someone wrote in and said oh you should get this brand yeah and so thankfully which is kind of like the i ended up buying the cool looking one and craig stuck with his sleeping bags on his feet (laughs) yeah stuff like that really helpful (laughs) uh so joe's a long time listener and heavy supporter of um the podcast and he's from the uk and again the, the distance this is reaching he says um, <coughs> this episode was far out something I've never heard before knowledge well shared that's that's awesome it's awesome to yeah. you know and you've and you got to think that people don't have access to the um, to correct information they'll see some ridiculously made documentary uh, where they show indigenous Australians um, throwing boomerangs and playing didgeridoos do they do that or, or or movies you know hollywood movies do they do those things yes they do is, but is that the, the bulk of their is that a large part of their culture it, it's only scratching the surface you know you're not even getting close and I, so i think it's important if you've got any interest um check it out yeah good mm. last but not least i'll just swing through the um instagram comments real quick uh, I'm just trying to read this 
name can and because it's all one word can and da can and da luxurious switchbacks if you're listening you'll know how to pronounce your own username but canada no no, no can as in you know stack of rocks can the things oh, that right. i hate yeah right <laughs> uh so glad to have another listen to another podcast to listen to um be missing my favorite podcast well oh, that's a big call you obviously don't listen to many podcasts Perhaps this is the only podcast to listen to, but I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> uh, also to Anna for saying, finally, man, I dare say that's going to be another sunburn for me. I think that's because Anna listens to it around the pool side oh. and because it goes for three hours. Too much. Too much fun in the sun. There's no way. I don't recommend that, and I will right here now say that mm-hmm. I take no responsibility for um, any... Um, sun skin problems down the track no if you it's not our fault that you do it around the pool yeah take a break go inside put some sunscreen on yeah Um, wear a a a large hat Mm -hmm. a sensible hat Mm. get an umbrella all these things i'm saying these as caveats because if ever i need to kind of defend Mm. myself i'll just play this podcast to the judge and say I told her, mm. put sunscreen on. We may need a legal team. Anyway, I'm surprised we haven't needed one so far. And it. Mm. Uh, okay, let's talk about gear. People thinking, oh, get on with it. No, they're not. They're loving it. I'm, I can't scroll down my spreadsheet. I've got to click through all of this. Here we go. Uh, Victonox. You know, the, that's the old school Swiss Army knife brand. Of course, I heard oh, that. With the yeah. little, the little cross. They've released a, <coughs> recently released a new knife called the Ranger Grip 55. It's a much larger version of that kind of stereotypical uh, Swiss Army knife. Kind of has less uh, things, but still a, a significant blade. I would say um, I would say it's a more useful tool to take uh, on a hike because the blade's more of a decent size. I'm talking sort of uh, from what I could see in the um, the video, which I'll post in the show notes. It looks about maybe slightly smaller than this pen. So we're talking sort of a four to four inch sort of mm. pocket knife, much bigger. Uh, a, a mm. third or a half bigger again than your typical and a much more um, robust grip as well so it's it's wider and thicker it, it looks like a, a fold-out knife it doesn't look like a Swiss Army knife and if you're a fan of that brand I, I own a couple of them actually um, that I keep slotted in backpacks here and there they're good quality certainly gonna last you a while um, it's worth checking out. It's it's, it's interesting. I, I think I've got enough knives. What a stupid comment. But it's got what a stupid comment that is. It's got other, you can never have enough knives. Has it got other utilities? Yeah, in yeah. It? It's got other bits and pieces. Does I didn't apply it. No. I didn't write it. No, no. It's not that size. It's it's more more sturdy fold out knife than a few uh, one tool fits all. It's not a 
multi-tool. It's not a multi-tool. That's the word I was looking for. It's, it's by no means a multi-tool. It's just got a few extra things. Okay. Uh, it's good. Hear that bird? Yeah, it sounds like he's saying something. Yeah. Wait for it. There, right there. I'm not sure if you got that. It's a very throaty, guttural sound, and I only first heard this bird a few years ago on a solo hike, and it sounded like people in the distance coughing or talking or something. It kind of spooked me out a bit because I thought I was alone, but uh, yeah, it turns out that it's a, a very strange bird call. The plane gun over. Oh, wow. <coughs> Plane's not something that we see that often this year. Yeah, that's right. I'm suspecting that to be a smaller yeah. aircraft. There we go. Especially out here. Uh, and the other one was, you know, um, Zippo, the lighter brand. Yeah, sure. Zippo, the lighter brand, has the Zippo axe saw. One word. Huh? Axe saw. Hey, Craig, grab your axe saw. That sounds tough. It's um, not hard to work out what it is, right? Are you familiar with those uh, kind of, uh, the best way I can describe it is either a, a, a hoop, a U shape or a triangular shape um, handle with a saw blade yep. that you can dismantle and yep. you just carry the saw blade and you fold, yeah, you know Fold's what I'm talking about? Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. So what they've done is kind of cleverly, I'm not very good with all my plastics and stuff, but it's some kind of a, I'll use an advanced word like polycarbonate or something, handle, it's not a wooden handle on this axe, it's a, it's a durable plastic handle, and then obviously the axe head. When you put the, uh, the cover on the axe head, which is also a, a durable plastic, it kind of clips on and locks in place. And then out of the handle, you, I think, probably unscrew or pull out the saw blade. And then you, if you can imagine a triangle where you're attaching it to the handle, the base of the handle of the axe, and then it's creating a triangle by going across to the, the, cover, the cover, so the bottom of the cover, then the handle of the axe becomes the handle of mm. the the hacksaw and when I say hacksaw I'm talking about uh, a more a saw that would take down um, significant branches like mm. big branches you know anything up to sort of um, I don't know that'd be heavy though yeah well I'm, I'm not saying it's um, something for hikers oh, it's interesting uh, no, I, the reason I bring it up is because <clears throat> I know a lot of us don't just hike us included sometimes mm. we drive into campsites and yeah. spend a few days that's where i'd use that sort of thing yeah i'm sourcing just to process process timber i'm sourcing a folding saw because i think they would come in really handy if you need to process wood more than an axe probably just needing a saw mm. and those silky ones that fold out oh the silky fantastic they're the best my neighbor probably. down the back is an arbor ex-arborist which is a uh, a, a professional tree lopper if you're not familiar with that word, and he's he's got a couple of silkies he showed me. 
because mm. I've got a dodgy brand saw that I use in my backyard. He showed me his silk, yeah, it's a beautiful piece of machinery. Yeah, that's what I'd carry if we were going to be having large, larger fires. and. Um, yeah, sort of if you're on private property doing any yeah. sort of bushcraft and that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good, um, pretty yeah, good thing to carry. That's cool. Because silky make those big fold-out ones. Yeah, they make ones. ones you can really get into stuff. Even some of the silky hand saws are as oh. long as your forearm, if not yeah, longer. Yeah, real big. massive. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but they fold out. They're really small when they fold down, pretty much. You know. And it's the sharpness of the and the way that those teeth cut that um, take the effort out of the cutting. There's much less physical effort than a than an axe. Mm. Mm -hmm. But you know, in in the cool factor, you look cool with an axe. That's just a fact. Yeah, that's what I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, look, that's um, that's it, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna now introduce the uh, interview that we did with Ross McGibbon. He is, as I mentioned earlier, a, a, a wildlife photographer, predominantly snakes are his passion and uh, any sort of reptiles. He's an ex-snake catcher, which is probably sounds crazy to some people in some parts of the world when you actually think about it, but it's a job in Australia is uh, to get phone calls from civilians in the suburbs saying, Hey mate, I just went out to the shed and there's a flaming snake in there. And then, you know, people are too too scared or, or rather, I'm not saying too scared because that sounds wrong. It's very advisable that you would seek a professional to get yeah. something like a, a brown snake out of your shed because he, it can kill you. Oh yeah, it'll kill you. And he talked about it. How, oh, busy, how busy he was. Oh, at length, yeah, you'll hear. I don't have to go into detail, but how busy he was when he um, started to take over the business. Uh... That's exactly right. That's a really good point, Craig. It's not He's not getting one call a week to go out and remove a snake. His phone's ringing off the hook. <laughs> so it's a fantastic story he tells about some of those things. But this, uh, the unique thing about Ross is he's brought this knowledge of uh, being around snakes, interacting with snakes, being safe around snakes knowing their uh, mannerisms, their nature, and then added to that his love of photography. What's cool about that is you, you couldn't find a better photographer. It, it's not like you or I deciding tomorrow that we love snakes so much, let's get into photographing snakes, because we have no idea about the, the, this, the intricacies of the way they move around us and interact with us that we'd end up getting ourselves in some mm. or, or in hospital if not worse yeah you said we we're going to get ross on and the first thing i saw was this photograph of him looking through an slr camera at a snake that's only that's, a foot away yes and i think i addressed that in a podcast but that's exactly what i think we, yeah i'm sure we did talk about it a couple weeks ago yeah him. and um i mate I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot. He has really, really good insight into how we should interact with him as yeah. well. He gives us a lot of that knowledge in this podcast, so that I'm looking forward to. There's another plane. Do you, do you think that someone's put a call out for us? <laughs> because 
nobody's heard from us and our cars sitting in the campgrounds Maybe. for two days. Maybe. Maybe we Unattended, getting dirty. Well, we don't want them. We want to stay. No, no, no. We'll find our own way out. There's, I've been doing a lot of uh, thinking about this and um, I think as we move through life, we are uh, given snippets of information and this, this, this goes for every single topic in the world. Every interaction we have, every conversation we have, oh, I was speaking to, you know, such and such and he said that a, a snake, his grandfather saw a snake and it jumped in the car and, and chased him around the car. Like there's all these tall tales well, what's happening is you're ingesting that tall tale and you're putting it in a bucket labeled snake stories and snake or rather you're labeling it as snake information as if it's legitimate information that you've got from a scientist or you saw it firsthand what you don't get out of those stories is did, did that person antagonize the snake did the person do something stupid um, was it a, a, a misunderstanding? So <clears throat> the snake was trying to display that it was agitated, but you've gone ahead and interpreted that as a full-blown attack. You know, so all these things are playing into these stories, and what you're doing is you're filling this bucket with snake information, and when you see a snake, your mind immediately dips its hand in that bucket and pulls out a few of these notes, and they all say, um, they all say, oh, snakes are dangerous, they're going to attack you, they're going to chase you, they're going to jump out of trees. They are lurking in the woods, waiting for the sound of human footsteps Watch out. to slither out and try and get you. And, and this, is, this is all misconceptions and fears. And I want everyone to listen to this, but if you have a fear of snakes, you need to sit through this. You need to listen to this episode. Ross is so calm, he's such a gentle bloke, he's so much fun to talk to, such a, a mm. top bloke. Yeah. And he's very calm about the way he presents snakes and his love of that reptile, I believe, will transcend through the podcast and to you. Yeah. And at least give you a greater understanding of what you are seeing when you see these behaviours in a snake. Now, Ross... This is a great timing because Ross has actually uh, released a 2021 calendar, which is all of his best shots. And it's not just snakes, it's a few reptiles as well. Fantastic shots uh, from his uh, library in this 2021 calendar. I ordered Craig and my calendar last week. It's already on its way. Uh, buy two, get one free. Oh, you said that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I great. did. So we've got yeah. a, a spare. <clears throat> uh, in an upcoming episode where we're in the studio and Craig and I have had time to talk about it, mm. we're actually going to be um, giving that third one away to a listener uh, anywhere in, around the globe. So stay tuned for that in a, in a further podcast. Mm-hmm. And the proceeds of that, this is this is where not being in a studio really hurts me. The proceeds of Ross's calendar, some of the proceeds are going towards two funds. I don't want to misquote those funds right now. I can't look them up on my phone. Mm. I couldn't look them up last night. 
I don't have them written down. That's all right. But just know that they're going to um, um, good local causes. And but it's obviously, by the time this airs, the show notes will be up there. There'll be links to his calendar. There will be um, the information there. And uh, it, it's a great calendar. I can't wait to get mine and hang it up and freak mm. out all the, the visitors that come to my house. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Do you have guys, anything to add to Well, to listen, this listen to this. Listen to this chat with, with Ross and just rethink and re, reassess your um, relationship with snakes. I think it's a fascinating chat that we had and I've rethought it. And then go on the show notes, check out his photos. They're amazing and you will find a link to, to pick up his calendar for next year. I think that's a great idea. Um, I just, yeah, looking forward to um, getting, if, if anyone does listen and then they they write to us and tell us how it makes them feel because I, mm, I think it yes. will touch them touch them there so that's exactly right just like other topics we've we've covered in the past have put people's mind at ease i think so. um let's just jump back to um cecile's email about listening to us talk about um so overnight solo hiking mm. as a woman has given her the confidence to attack it herself yeah um basically demystifying and taking away some of the the, the silly things that your brain kind of creates. So a, a lot of people directly quote snakes is one of the reasons they don't like to come out here that, that's in true. Australia. That's really in true. Australia. Yeah, no, that's that's very very true. People say, oh, I don't, I don't like. Why don't you hike? I don't like snakes. What are you talking about? We just we only saw one an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's none. <laughs> there's none out here. Oh, what we've seen two on this trip. Uh, yeah, look, uh, I'm going to leave it there, guys. I know we've dragged, dragged it on a bit. But that's what that's what I do. Unfortunately, we've got some a, a couple more. I'm always reluctant to say this because life has got in the way of us a few times. But we've got a couple more coming out before the end of 2020. And if all goes to plan, uh, the last episode of 2020 is going to be something fun, mm. very different, enjoyable. Uh, I won't let the cat out of the bag, and uh, and let you know what that is uh, until we've got it solidified a bit. That's a really unusual saying, isn't it? I don't know if that's universal across the world, letting the cat out of the bag. I don't have a physical cat here now. I'm not, I don't have a bag with a cat in it. It has nothing to do with what we're doing in the podcast. I don't know why I'm, the bag is bestowed upon me all of a sudden. Uh, and I don't know why it's a cat. How many cats have you got? I've got a few. There's a few cats. Yeah. Well, let's leave it at that. Look up cat out of the bag if you're from, I don't know, another country. Thank you very much. We're going to enjoy this perfect day here. I just heard a karawong, which is a bird in a tree, giving us a little call. Um, perhaps we'll just leave a few seconds of silence here, Craig, and then go into the interview with Ross. Okay signing out thanks guys I love you enjoy Ross McGibbon welcome to the podcast mate Craig Tom how are you fellas absolutely fantastic how about yourself good yeah going great going great Good. You were all the way over in Perth. Actually, is that north or south of Perth where you are? 
Uh, I'm up in Exmouth at the moment, which is about 1,300 k's north of Perth. That's a lot north. Oh, yeah. It, it is a lot north, and it's great this time of year because the sun's shining and it's quite cold and rainy back in Perth. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have picked Perth to be like that. But I guess when you look at the map of Australia, it does sit quite low compared to like it's not it's not the opposite side of brisbane is it it's lower than that it's lower than that you're probably looking at similar to sydney and yeah, um, right. the weather's pretty similar but we get a double whammy in winter where we get the rain and the and the cold so uh heading up you know anywhere sort of a thousand k's north in winters um cherished yeah that's great <laughs> <laughs> good timing yep uh, Ross, I can't, I can't actually pinpoint when I stumbled across your work, but my assumption is that it started on Instagram uh, somehow. And I, I just remember seeing a photograph of a snake and a couple of things struck me straight away. And one was the incredible quality of the of the photograph to start with and also the well it was in a very aggressive um stance <laughs> and i thought uh wow that's that's just um captured so many elements that i would think would be quite difficult to capture what what uh what got you to the point where you thought i i want to pick up a camera and try and get to that level of of uh interactivity i guess uh how long have you got um <laughs> I'll, I'll try and give you the relatively short version of of how i got started and um it it starts when i was a young kid i was very obsessed with dinosaurs uh natural progression into reptiles when i realized they were you know animals that existed yep. and i could i could actually sort of get hands on with them um and then I got into professional snake catching uh, as an adult and then I sort of had a side uh, hobby of photog photography and I sort of always daydreamed about uh, being a wildlife photographer and at, at different points in my young adult life I, I nearly disappeared up to Darwin and, and decided to try and you know make it as a, as a wildlife photographer or something like that and life just kept steering me in different directions but... Um, yeah, on the Sunshine Coast, it all sort of came together where I was professional snake catching. Um, I met a few guys that uh, were doing um, herpetological photography, which is reptiles. And um, really, uh, it all just sort of came together for me that I, once I sort of saw, you know, what was out there and, and, and what I could be doing, I just put the passion of reptiles, photography and travel all together and, and then sort of embarked on this this sort of really passionate way of living from then on yeah it's it's not normal ross but i really do like it <laughs> <laughs> it's not normal and that's also why i like it too, that's so. that's why it's so perfect though uh that's yep. why it, it just captivated me the first image i ever saw so are you you saying that um when you initially thought that you might like to photograph wildlife are you talking wildlife in general and at that stage you hadn't narrowed it down to the reptiles Yes, exactly. Like, uh, you know, as a young adult, I'd watch, um, you know, nature documentaries and I just, I just thought that they had the best job in the world, um, you know, traveling around the world, seeing the most fascinating animals in the wild and, um, 
you know, for, for me, sort of the, the novelty wore off captive stuff quite quickly. And I just, I was really drawn to the whole adventure and getting out in the wild and seeing things for real and, and you know, having it, having it be really genuine. Yeah. So that always appealed to me. And I just, you know, every time I'd watch a documentary, I just envied them so much. And then, you know, probably around... Um, 2015, I just sort of said enough was enough and I, I sort of changed things around in my life and, and really started to pursue that um, just as a really serious hobby. Um, I'm, a, I'm a full-time firefighter, so that's my, um, you know, it's the way I make my living and then this is just something I do really sort of passionately on the side. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Is uh, when you were doing the, the snake, relocating etc on the sunshine coast was that uh, was that a full-time job or was that just like a seasonal thing that you did well it it was almost the work of a full-time job um as well as my full-time job as a firefighter so <laughs> wow. uh, we worked the the normal roster of a firefighter which is two days on two nights and then four off right um so you know i'd be snake catching um, after night shift and stuff like that, if, if we didn't get any alarms and I got a bit of sleep throughout the night, I'd, I'd be snake catching all the next day if I had night shift that night and then I'd be snake catching on my four off. And um, I worked between Toowoomba and the Sunshine Coast, so I would, I'd had a really full roster because I'd, I'd work for Toowoomba snake catchers as well as Sunshine Coast oh, snake wow, catchers. Oh, wow, that's a big, just for any of the listeners, that's a, a fairly uh, extensive um, area. We're yeah. talking about that, hundreds of kilometres uh, between the yep. two locations. Yeah, exactly. So I would, you know, um, go and do my four days on out at Toowoomba and then and then snake catch on my night shifts um, during the day and then I'd come back to the Sunshine Coast for my four days off and um, I started out uh, snake catching and then um, within six months of sort of working for a guy called Richie Gilbert, he was, he was pretty sort of... Um, uh, well-renowned or reputable on the Sunshine Coast. He probably had the biggest snake catching business in Australia at the time. And um, he was at the point in his life where he was like, oh, I really need to focus on family and, and have a break from this because you're on call 24-7 and it was just overtaking his life. So um, he decided I was the right guy for the job and, and he basically handed his business over to me to run. So between a full-time job of snake catching, um, you know, firefighting, I, I also had the business side of things to run as well. So <laughs> That's I had incredible. Yeah, I had my plate really full um, for mm. about a year and a half there. And, and the funny thing about that is we were just talking about it off air before we, we switched the mics on is that uh, it turns out that through that snake catching business, I'd already seen videos of you without realizing it many, many years ago. Uh, yep. just on Facebook and uh, it was only the last couple of days that it clicked that it was uh, the same guy or at least the same group of people um, yep. that you worked for. So that's pretty cool. The world's a small yeah. place. <laughs> yeah, it is it is cool that I was, um, that you're sort of seeing my stuff as early as, you know, I was, I was working for him in 2015 um, and 16. So it's it's cool if you were seeing my yeah, stuff Yeah, I've definitely then. seen stuff for years from those yep. guys, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, it's always, it's just interesting content. And, uh, you know, just for the, I guess, maybe some people around the world, we, we have listeners in 
every little pocket of the world, they might not understand exactly what uh, what you're doing in that role. Did you just want to unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, so in Australia and particularly that southeast corner of Queensland, um, it's one of the most densely populated um, areas for snakes or, or most biodiverse area for snakes. Um, you know, you've got between 20 and 30 species of snake, um, you know, living in all different types of habitat in that area and, and a lot of people get uh, snakes entering their home because these animals are, are looking for resources to survive. And uh, we, you know, knowingly or unknowingly provide them those resources, you know, such as, you know, our, our chicken pens and the, the pet food and grain that we leave around. It all tracks rats and mice and, you know, they come to our houses for, uh, to seek shelter and, um, you know, places to regulate their body temperature. And, um, you know, there's often a conflict between snakes and humans, um, as there is a lot, you know, in different countries around the world. But um, it, it happens quite a lot in southeast Queensland and in summertime we can sort of get about 10 call outs a day. Is that right? Um, I've never, I've never been, I've never spoken to anybody who's done it for a job and, mm, and, and you yep. always wonder, is this, a, is this, do they get two calls a week or what? So to hear 10 a day, that's just out of control. Wow. Well, it is. And yeah, that, like, that's the most I've completed in a day. And I'm, I'm sure there's, there's guys that work for that business that, that have probably maybe done a few more than that in a day, but that that's racking up, you know, three, three or so hundred kilometers of, yeah. of run, running up and down the Sunshine Coast to, to different jobs. And, um, yeah, it can get pretty demanding on your time when you're on call yeah. 24 hours a day and you've got to drop what you're doing and off you go. So is it, um, mentally, demanding or or are you at a at a place now where you're kind of so comfortable around snakes that it's not really um that doesn't factor into it i wouldn't say the actual relocations are mentally too demanding what was probably more demanding was the the business side of it and and um the the social media side of it like i was really plunged into uh, this world of social media because Richie had about 30,000 followers on his Facebook page which he used to keep updated and educated with with lots of content and then when he handed me over the business I not only had you know all of that to do <laughs> the in my actual spare job time, to do yeah <laughs> yeah I had to you know film I had to get the the clients or the customers to film what I was doing film so you that catching I was catching the snakes yeah, and then later I would, you know, try and come up with a, an educational sort of post about that snake or about yep. that that incident, um, and then post that. And and man, it was a it was a lot of work. And then on top of that, you've got to reply to everyone's messages. You've got people texting you saying, "What snake is this?" And yes, that's true yeah. because in the uh, I often did on all of those videos, I'd read through the comments and I'd often see people and I'd see responses from. Mm -hmm. your facebook page saying oh yeah it was a this and this and it was probably a juvenile and and i and i did this and that is it's quite interesting but yeah that all takes time and people don't uh, really consider that no no it was it was a really demanding sort of job and and on top of that I, in the year sort of that i was running it i i sort of helped build a bit more of a team so that because i didn't know how long i was going to do it for but i knew i needed help so I sort of started tying in all of the catches that would do work for us here and there and started building a team and, you know, got everyone uniforms and, and built the business up as much as I could for, for Richie um, while I was doing it. So, 
yeah, oh, it was it was a busy part of my life. I won't say it didn't wear me out. It's uh, it's it's given you some good skills though, because on that that topic of of uh, creating posts that are educational, uh, it is something that I found. Uh, so I can't say how long I've been following you for. It's been a while, but more and more now I actually stop and read the information rather than just look at the cool photo of a snake and hit the yeah, like cool. button it's yep. more about well hang on a second there's um he's actually telling us something here and like with anything that i think the only way to to reduce fear is to uh is to educate and i guess that brings me to the the documentary the short film that you you put together and it's for anybody, it, it's publicly available. We'll, we'll obviously put all the links in the show notes so you can go and check out all of Ross's stuff. But it is quite literally, I think it runs for about 38 minutes, does it, Ross? Somewhere uh, around there? Just under 30. So I've Just tried under 30, to keep, yep. Yeah, I've tried to keep it sort of bang on 30 minutes. Um, cool. And, and you just sit yep. there throughout and you just get um, downloaded on with cool facts interesting facts things that you didn't know not just facts but perspectives the way that you explain how a snake might be feeling or what exactly is happening in this situation but the beauty of it is you've got so much footage yeah accumulated that you then go and drop this footage and say here's what i'm talking about this yeah. is and uh I learned a lot. I my two oldest boys sat down and watched it, and they were captivated. The whole thirty minutes, they they were um, they loved it. And my oldest boy, he's eleven, and after it, I said to him, "Did you guys learn anything?" And he's and he said, "Oh yeah, we learned we learned so much." And then he said, um, "I said I wanted to show you that because I wanted to, you know, show you this guy who's very calm around snakes and." And he's explaining to you why you shouldn't fear them automatically. And my eldest boy actually said, yeah, I actually do feel better about snakes now just from watching that. <laughs> oh, man, that's so excellent. Yeah, excellent I, I knew you'd love to hear that because yeah. that's where we've got to hit it. We've got to hit the, we've got to hit the kids, man. We've got to yep. educate the kids. And, and uh, as they get up to our age, uh, they, can, they can interact with with snakes in a better way than than we did well not so much yourself but i know that i um didn't have much education in snakes so it was always considered we i grew up on acreage and it was always considered mm -hmm. a pretty um freaky experience to to have one you know to see one uh i had one in the lounge room one night when i was yep. young uh tiger snake it just came in and um actually went underneath my body i was laying on my side oh wow and yeah it went underneath between you know if you're laying on one elbow there's that yep. triangle in your under your arm it, it yep. just went through that gap and went straight <laughs> straight under the um tv cabinet and i didn't see yep. it because i was watching tv i didn't see it until it was uh about a meter in front of me and my kind and my eyes went <laughs> yep. like sources yep. and my dad said yep. he was on the couch behind me and he said he saw the whole thing play out yeah and when it was about just at me 
he went to say something and then he he bit his tongue and yep. just let it play out and and that was probably a very smart move on his on his part. Yep. Exactly, because if he alerted you to it, you might have moved or I would jumped have or whatever. Spun around, and it, yep. it wasn't going yep. for me. It was clearly going for the dark corner underneath the yep. TV. Yep. Um, and and when when humans are still, pe- people don't realise that sm- snakes don't really even register you as anything in, until you're moving, and then all of a sudden you're a large predator, and and and. You know, they're so close that sometimes their only option is to think they need to defend themselves. So, yeah, in in scenarios like that, if that snake was, you know, that close to you and you moved, then it's going to get a hell of a fright. You're going to get a hell of a yes. fright. And, you know, that's how bites occur where the snake's terrified of its life. It, it sees you as a predator and, and it bites out in, in defense. Yeah, which is understandable. Yeah. And, and that, is, yeah. the way that you frame that in in that uh, in the film is, you say that quite a few times, but it's, it's really driving home that point that these thing things rather these snakes are seeing <laughs> us as these giant things. Uh, yep. They don't know how to deal with it. Uh, we're absolutely massive in comparison, and they have to do something. So I liked there was bits where you were saying when people say they're chased by a snake. It's it's not so much chasing as it's in putting up this brave, almost like puffing your chest out, moving yep. moving towards the the enemy just long enough for them to take a step back and then they turn around the other direction and take off. Yeah, well, I, I try and explain it to to people as simple as possible, but they they may have had a similar experience even with a domestic dog, where a dog will, um, you know, come come running up to you barking. And it, and it looks quite aggressive and, it, and it's intimidating, but the dog is actually not going to follow through and bite you half the time. It's it's not really, you know, it's what it's trying to do is intimidate you. And, and it is a bit different with a dog because they're actually being territorial and they're defending yes. not, not their own personal safety, but they're defending their territory, whereas snakes don't defend a territory. It's... Um, it's incorrect to call a snake territorial um, when they're defending their own personal safety, not a marked out territory. And it's a huge mis- misconception in Australia. And, it, and it's just come about because of people's lack of understanding of the animal. Yes, because if one would say that something's territorial, the next image that pops into mind is that they're extremely aggressive if you yeah. are in their uh, yeah. marked out territory, which... You also explain quite well that's not what's happening in their head yep. at the time. Yep. The, yeah, the only thing they're doing is defending their personal safety because they're looking up, seeing a large human and, and, and freaking out, thinking, oh, I've got to flee, hide or defend myself. Yeah. Some of those statistics, I love statistics because <laughs> as long as they come from the right source, they're, they're pretty black and white. Yep. And you uh, you spell out a few statistics. What's some of your favourite stats that you that you were telling us about in that film? Well, the the biggest one that people are probably shocked to to hear is that we we have you know an average of two snake bite deaths a year, which is extremely low. Um, you know, for a country with the most amount of um, highly venomous snakes um, and and even venomous snakes. Um, our snakes don't bite a lot of people. Um, there's, 
you know, there's research going on at the moment and, and there will be more done, but the, the, the scientists and the academic community are, are, are sort of widely accepting that when snakes bite to defend themselves, um, they're not trying to use venom a lot of the time. Mm. It's just the fact that they are venomous and when they do bite, um, you know, some of that venom can be injected, but um, it's sort of widely becoming accepted that they know when to use it and when not to use it. And, you know, that's another great point that I hit in the, um, in the film and I show the comparison between, you know, brown snakes at feeding time where they're extremely voracious. Yes. They, they fly onto that uh, rodent, they hold on, they wrap around it's it. It's completely they, different. Yeah, it's completely different. It's completely different. Completely different. And yep. that was eye-opening, I must say, to see the difference in nature. Like you say, it was a completely different approach to a similar snake that you were you know, walking past and filming, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. coming at you like it was agitated. If it wanted to get you, it could have got you at any time. And that's, that's the difference, I think, is uh, like you said, when, that, when that, you showed that rodent to that um, snake, it was, it was wholly focused on exterminating it to eat it. <laughs> yes, that was it. Yeah. That's all it was doing. And that's not yeah. how they were acting out. Uh, when when they were just intimidated by you, yes, yes, exactly, and and you know you really need to um, sort of see that to to really see the difference because in people's mind, when they see a defensive snake, they they believe they're that rat and they're you know that that snake has every intention to catch and kill them, and it's it, there is a huge disparity in the way a snake acts towards a human or a potential threat to the way it acts when it's acquiring its prey and their abilities are, are, are used, well, basically they use their abilities to the fullest when they're acquiring prey, otherwise they go hungry. Um, with us, you know, they're more interested in either fleeing or if they have to stand their ground and defend themselves, it's it's quite half-assed most of the, <laughs> yeah. the time. You just know, a big show. To, yeah, just a big show and, and that's what it's designed for, you know, when, it, when animals don't see a snake and they get too close and it rears up and looks bigger than it is and it and it do, does these mock strikes and looks really aggressive and huffs and, huffs and puffs. You know, it's all designed as a bluff to, to warn yeah. other predators to, to leave them alone. Yeah, take a few steps back. And it works incredibly well, but it's, yep. not, it's not until you frame it like that and show the, the, uh, the different footage that it all starts to become quite clear. Yeah, yep. Ross, that's definitely one of my favourite parts of that that flick you've put together, mate. It's really interesting to see that, and I I love that. I think one of your biggest, strongest messages is that that we've had it wrong for so long, and that we um, that you must have been dealing with many many misguided um, views from the public over the years, and you just had to sort of set us straight on some facts and and put us in the picture of what these snakes are actually doing, rather than just being a threat to us. So um, yeah, just tell us more about where you think um, the snakes are coming from and why we don't have to be so scared as we are and, and you know, jump, running away from them as quickly as we do? Well, for, first and foremost, it's I really encourage people to, to just take a deep breath when they see a snake right. and, and not let their, you know, irrational fears overtake them because yep. 
they see if they see a snake the first thing they think is oh it's dangerous it's going to bite someone it's going to kill someone you know i've got to go and exterminate this thing otherwise it's going to get my kid and and those things are all you know they they do happen very very occasionally but the amount that people think that it happens compared to the that it actually the occurrence of it actually happening mm-hmm. is just so different and i just want people to a try and understand these animals a bit better see them as native wildlife yeah um because that's what they are they're all protected you're not allowed you know it's illegal to kill snakes in australia but you know what people do on their own property sort of goes goes unseen by the authorities and um i just want people to reframe the way they perceive them um I want them to go, okay, there's a kookaburra, you know, there's a snake. They are potentially dangerous, but if I just leave that animal alone, it's probably just passing through or, you know, it's not this territorial animal that's going to take up residence under my, you know, doorstep and bite me as soon as I come out. Um, You know, bites are unfortunate and they are basically accidents. The snake Mm. doesn't really want to go around biting humans. They don't stalk humans. Mm. they're simply just defending their personal safety. Um, and, and you said most of the bites are dry bites, in fact, in in some ways. Is that right? Well, I use the eastern brown snake as as um, an example because it is, I guess you could say it's the deadliest snake in Australia because it's responsible for the most amount of human fatalities. But even that is, is quite low. Um, and... The eastern brown snake has an envenomation, an envenomation rate of as low as 20 to 40%. So about out of 10 times that it might, you know, bite a human, um, it's only envenoming someone, you know, between two and four times. And that's, that's largely because just a venomous creature and it's biting to defend itself. Can you tell um, when you look at the bite site if it's if it's got on or not, if it's done the, the envenomation? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, that I I have to say that if, if you suspect you've been bitten by a snake, no matter what you think it is, no matter, you know, if you think it was a, you know, a dry bite or not, like the, that's probably the downside to teaching people that snakes yep. do dry bite. Yep is that you may get people not taking a bite seriously, but I yeah. 100% you know, have to say uh, for the public safety side of things that if yeah. you suspect you've been bitten and you don't know, um, you know, and you think it's a snake that's bitten you, then you must apply snake bite first aid and seek urgent medical attention. So, yeah, it's good advice. You know, I mean, find it, out later that it was a... A yep. dry bite, that's great. Happy yep. days, but don't try and oh. self-analyze it. <laughs> Mate, I'm sure we'd all take it pretty seriously, but um, yeah. yeah, yeah that's- but, you know, there are people that don't, and they're usually the people that um, succumb to the, to the oh, right. you know, venom and end up being a statistic because they mm. didn't um, take it seriously. And, you know, um, I, just did a, I just did a post about the Australian Jugite, which is a, a venomous brown snake that we have over in the... Um, south uh, southwestern corner of WA. Is that and the little guy that was um, yeah. very in love with your camera? Yep, that was the guy I did the intro and the conclusion yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, right. But it yeah. Was that, that was the same type. That was, uh, there's another post of yours where he was actually, you had to drop your camera and he, and he was checking uh, the yep. camera out, yeah? Yep, yep, that was a Jew guide as well. So, 
you know, the, the point I was going to make is that, you know, in the last 35 years, there's only been two deaths from this snake and they were both elderly women over 70 who didn't seek medical attention after they were bitten or, or maybe they didn't realize they were bitten yeah. or they, you know, just didn't take it seriously or, or what have you. But you, you do find that a lot of the fatalities, if if you can dig through the media hype and actually get to the, the facts, um, you know, people didn't know what to do um, and they didn't know how to respond, you know, after they'd been bitten. So it, it's very important in Australia that you understand basic snake bite first aid and, and you do your utmost um, best to get to get to um, medical care if you think you've been bitten. Yeah, well, mate, I definitely wanted to hit onto that today. Um, can, you know, over the years, we've heard many different techniques for, for treating a snake bite and there were some some myths that were busted a long time ago and mm -hmm. you know everything mm -hmm. from from sucking the poison out yeah to, Craig's stopped doing that now I've stopped doing that recently <laughs> yeah he's always so Tom I think you got a snake bite on your leg again yeah yeah and, <laughs> and there was like tourniquet was was, a, was definitely a no-go now um, in terms of you know yeah. really viciously wrapping tightly around the the, the limb and also um, we thought that it was all spread through the bloodstream. Blood. But, yep. But can you educate us a little bit more about what to do if we are bitten and and some of the the best first aid treatment? Yeah. Well, let's first start with what not to do. And like you said, um, you know, a lot of the old uh, myths about snake bite treatment, are, you know, are fairly well disappeared. But probably the main one that sort of still hangs around is a, is a tourniquet. Pe people think that the venom is transported through your blood um, mm. and in Australian snakes that's not the case. Um, what happens is our, our snakes only have quite short fangs uh, just because of um, their morphology. They only have quite short fangs compared to you know, other species overseas and when they bite you the venom just sits in under the skin and it's transported through the lymphatic system. And that basically just goes up and down your arm under the skin. Now, it doesn't get into your bloodstream until it reaches, if you're bitten on, the, say, the hand or the arm, it doesn't get into your bloodstream until it reaches your lymph nodes in your armpit. Mm -hmm. So then, then it's transferred into the blood and then that's when you're, you're going to start going you know, symptomatic if you've had a, a decent bite or a decent envenomation. So applying a, a pressure bandage to the affected limb or the bitten limb what that does is it moderately compresses the limb and it traps the blood or it retards the movement of the venom um, under the skin. And that's all it's designed to do. So when you're doing this bandage, um, if you've got one bandage, basically you're starting at the bite site and you're wrapping that uh, bite site up with the one bandage. And then with another one, you're starting at the fingers and you're just working all the way up to the top of the limb. That's, that's if you've got two bandages. If you only have one, just start at the, at the base of the limb or the, the fingers and work all the way up to the armpit. Uh, there's more to it. There is a little bit more to it and I won't sort of um, go into all of it because it's a bit of a dry topic, but um, you, know, you can find this information just about everywhere online if you look up Australian snake bite first aid. Yep. Uh, if, and I have it on my website you know, in, in dot point that people can sort of read it. And is that and, where you uh, consider splinting as well to keep this, the limb from moving as well? So, say that again? Oh, is that where you consider splinting it with some something rigid or not when, you, when you're strapping it? Yeah, well, the very important part 
um, to remember is that movement um, helps the venom reach your bloodstream. So re retarding that movement or stopping that movement um, is of the utmost importance after you apply the pre pressure bandage or even during, you know, during the whole time yeah, right. you're trying not to move. And that that's not just the bitten limb, you're trying to not move all parts of your body because it all it all helps, you know what I mean? It's mm, incredible. Right. Yeah, it was something that uh, was only well, in the last year or so, Craig read an article about that and uh, brought mm. it to my attention. But it was very, 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 very good advice because it, uh, it, it's a different way of reacting. It's not, oh, I've been bitten on my arm. I'll strap it up and I'll hike out of here. Yeah, because that's just going to push that through, through your system. Um, I, I think just staying put 100% and limiting your movements the way yeah. to go. Actually, Ross, can I put you to a scenario here? And um, mm -hmm. let's just imagine that you're... As long as it's relevant, Craig. It's <laughs> kind, it's kind of relevant. I was waiting for it, and I, I bet I can tell what you're going to say. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, there are two trains traveling in opposite directions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're out hiking with one of our listeners, let's say, just the two of you, and you might be significant distance from the car, let's say 10Ks or maybe a a couple of hours hiking back to the car one of you gets bitten on the leg or on 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 the leg and you think oh um do you leave that person still to the point of leave them there and go and get help and bring paramedics back to them or do you try and get them to the vehicle to get them to the hospital quicker no you would if see if you're lucky enough to have two people yep um i i actually thought you were going to ask me if you buy yourself oh, around I, the bush i, I thought about that and i thought we, well, I'll ask you that too, but there's there's not much you can do except hobble back to the car, right? <laughs> well, well, look, I'll answer both for you. Okay. So if you if you've got help, um, any way of reaching help, then then help comes to you. So you gotcha. What you would have, what you do in that scenario is your, um, you would basically lie down or sit against a tree, get comfortable because you're going to not be moving for a very long time. Yes. <clears throat> so, and your, um, you know, number two. He or she is going to apply that uh, pressure bandage, and then they're going to go, or basically go for help, right. and leave you there with strict instructions not to move. Um, you know, you know, basically yeah. not even turning your head. You're just going to lie there and try and be as still as possible, it's like a statue. That's the um, clear yeah. advice I really wanted from you, mate. Because I, I could yep. imagine that you'd sort of debate what to do, and at that point, that's that's the way to go, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is the way to go. So your that bandage and your your immobilization is the most important part, and that's going to save your life. And you know, people hear horror stories about you know uh, Australian snakes, you know, killing people within ten minutes, thirty minutes, and this sort of thing. And um, that sort of stuff happens. Like it has been on record. Like the brown, you know, the eastern brown snake has killed someone in less than ten minutes, or they've 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 collapsed in less than ten minutes, um, and that's because that person continued, you know, freaked out, continued to do whatever they were doing and that venom was able to get into that system. And we, d we also don't know what pre-existing medical conditions and there's about 30 major things that affect how quickly you can succumb to venom. But just generally speaking, you know, people, it's best that they don't freak out. A lot of the times it's going to be a dry bite. It doesn't matter. You do the first aid. You keep calm and you've got hours and hours 
you know, before you can potentially, generally speaking, um, before you could potentially start to feel the effects. Um, it really, it really depends on how big the dose was and what the snake was and mm. ha- how well it got you and all those sort of factors. But um, you do have hours. And and for example, you know, I was I was bitten by a um, mulga snake or a king brown, and um, it only got one fang in. It was a small snake. Um, I did textbook first aid. Uh, had the bandage on for seven hours. In the end, uh, they took the bandage off and. I had received some venom, um, but it stayed well trapped in my limb because I, I did everything I should have done. And um, I didn't end up needing anti-venom in the end. So a combination of a, a small snake, a small dose of venom, and really good first aid meant that I didn't even need to receive anti-venom. Um, and, a, and a healthy you know, a healthy individual to yeah. start with as well. Yeah, yeah. And and look, the, if we if we actually nutted it out, there's probably you know, 30 other factors that, that that um, come into play here, but um, you know, getting back to your scenario, um, people think, oh, you know, no matter what, they might have heard horror stories, so they they just freak out, and that might make someone run to the car, and and yeah. that's actually going to be a lot worse for yeah. you. So, in that scenario, stay put. Um, if you're by yourself and you cannot reach anyone via mobile phone, by shouting out, by any other means. Uh, possible, you would straight away apply that uh, pressure bandage to the affected limb uh, and then you would calmly move to where you can get phone reception or the first bit of contact with with another person to get you help and then you stay put until help comes to you, um, remembering that moving is is your enemy. Yeah, we're pretty big on, you know, with our listeners uh, pushing the the PLBs, the personal locator beacons, yep. I think that they're just a, a must-have, uh, not not for, for this reason, but for a thousand other reasons uh, of which this is one. And that's going to give you the ability to not have to worry about phone reception and administer the first aid, pull that out of your pack, hit the button, have a sip of water and just relax and wait. Yep. Yeah, you could even well, do that while you've got. You could still have a second player um, moving yep. back to the trailhead to meet with yep. authorities, but you're still there with the locator beacon, so it's all good. Well, well, that that's what I would advise too, because if if that person gets flustered and and sort of takes wrong turns or whatever, and then and then it has a delay or they cannot, you know, find you again, um, you've got the backup of the locator. Yeah, beacon that's a really good off. point too. Or if they get injured yep. on the way, I know that yep. if. I know yep. if I was moving back to a vehicle, if Craig was injured, I'd probably be pretty reckless. And there's always yeah. a chance if um, Tom gets lost yep. all the time. I get lost. Not so much that, but I, I'm moving at such a clip, mate. <laughs> I'm moving so trees are bl- a trees are a blur. <laughs> hey, yeah. Ross. Before we move on from that scenario, do we have to identify the snake? Uh, no. So a lot of people used to think think that that they must you know kill the snake and then bring it into the hospital and you know that then they would be able to identify them but um the hospitals use a combination of tests they test your blood they test your urine um they narrow it down to which snakes are in the area and 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 what effects um you know clinical effects you're presenting with and they work it out and if they still can't work out which you know uh, anti-venom to give you, they'll give you a broad spectrum one that covers 
you know, all of our dangerously venomous snakes in Australia. Um, but, you know, if, you know, they've also um, done away with these venom detection kits, which I won't go too much into, but they used to swab the bite site. Yeah, I'm familiar um, with that conversation, yeah. yeah. And, and they just sort of, they, they were only really accurate um, some of the time and they were coming up with false positives and they were you know, wasting time and yep. things like that and they were expensive and they basically, you know, hospitals around Australia went, well, these aren't, these aren't good enough and accurate enough to keep in service. So what they do now is they've got, you know, toxicologists on the phone and, and we have some of the best medical care in Australia and um, some really, really smart people out there that will, um, you know, figure out what you need when you go to hospital. So, hmm. um, hypothetically, sorry, hypothetically speaking, if yeah. someone had a high whiskey content in their blood, like that's not going to affect the reading or anything, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, look, if, um, yeah, I'm asking for a friend, he's, he's right yeah, there. For a friend, for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking out for you, Craig. Surely that's going to help with the recovery <laughs> look, and the. He's Look, immune. if you got sub, if you got some substances in your in your um, system, it's it's probably best to let them know. Uh, so, <laughs> remember I that. Don't, I don't. I don't think you're going to get in trouble for it. You know, in a life and death situation. Yeah. All right, uh, noted. For those helps, helps me keep calm. Good for yeah. those listeners out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Uh, uh, um, the we've talked about. Uh, you know us. Yeah, people being attacked by snakes. But back to kind of the statistics. Do you know what, or do you have any data or or any intuition as to what is killing our native snakes, our native reptiles? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there's there's unfortunate scenarios like uh, everyone's seen a dead snake on the side of the road. Because you know they they're either trying to cross or they're they're trying to get warmth or a combination. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you probably have things like uh, domestic dogs. Um, but outside of that, is there anything that that perhaps uh, people like us who don't know anything about anything might uh, be surprised at? Well, if if you're asking, probably what's the biggest you know threats to our wildlife? It's it's most definitely you know, land clearing, um, the the introduction of uh, feral animals um, and and their sort of ability to, to wipe out native wildlife like um, cats are just yeah. one of the most destructive forces um, out there. Um, you know, there's there's estimates of between um, any at any one time in Australia, there's estimates of up to like six million feral cats and. You can imagine they're they're eating up to thir- or killing up to thirty reptiles alone a day in, yeah. in some areas, and can you imagine six million feral cats going through thirty reptiles a day yeah. plus you know whatever other native marsupials and birds they can get their hands on? Yep, and, and that, the rate at which they breed is yep. is far beyond a, a reptile, I would imagine. Yes, yes. So you know, dumping cats. Uh, because they have a litter out in the wild is a huge no-no. Um, people just don't understand the natural world, and they just, uh, for whatever reason, decide they don't want their, you know, pet cat to have a litter. And if they do, they don't want it to be their headache, and they go and dump them out, you know, at the local truck stop or something just out of town. And I've actually picked up a cat 
kit in, in, in that scenario. So that's where I'm sort of quoting yeah. that from. But but you know things things like that, letting cats go feral and then and then allowing them to breed and 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 you know even domestic cats are killing um, a lot of our wildlife as well. Yeah, well so, that's a good point uh, too. It's not just the uh, completely wild ones; it's the it's yep. the people that don't um, you know contain their cats, and they are absolute masters, yep. absolute masters of uh, you know they are I think if not the only one of the only. Uh, animals that can um, kill an echidna, and it's because they're they're able to flip it on its back and then attack the underside yeah. of it. Yeah, they're extremely smart. They're extremely good at what they do. Being a being a predator, it's in their instinct. And I, you know, I you know I like cats and I like wildlife and I like dogs and you know I'm, I'm an animal lover for for all of them. But but because I love all of them, I, I understand the relationship between domestic animals and wildlife. And um, everyone wants to believe that their cat can do no harm and they're, they're the cutest little thing on earth. But it's, it's hardwired into them to, to you know, stalk prey and, and kill wildlife. And if they're, if they're doing it for fun because you're just leaving them outside during the day and not knowing what they're up to, then it's it's a really irresponsible thing to do. So I, I do encourage people to keep their domestic cats inside. Um, it, it also keeps them safe, you know, fighting with other cats and getting yeah, eaten by true. dogs and hit by cars and all of that stuff. And um, you know, if you want... Oh, sorry, I might have missed a memo, but are, are a lot of the snakes endangered? I know they're protected in Australia, but um, are they endangered as well? So protected just means that, you know, we can't, can't just do what we will with them and kill them and That's right. you know, catch them and keep them as our pets and stuff like that. So yep. they're just protected under the Nature Conservation Act as, as native wildlife that, that needs to be left in the wild and, yep. and left alone. Yep. Um, a lot of our snakes aren't, aren't endangered or, or anything like that. There are some species that are in, uh, of reptiles that are endangered, but you know what's happening is it's a multi-pronged attack. We, we're clearing lots and lots of land for farmland and urbanization and, and spreading which the average person can't do a, a lot about like if they do have some some pull or some way of um, slowing down or, or just managing land clearing better then I encourage people to do that but um, you've got you know all of this habitat destruction uh, you've got feral animals uh, like cats dogs foxes um, you know even even pigs, destroy habitat such as you know the riverbanks um, yep. you know that, that's where turtles lay their eggs and a lot of animals lay their eggs and then you know you've got pigs in there rooting up everything and degrading the landscape um, yeah and then they the flow on effect of that is the silt levels in the water go too high and it affects the the fish life as well and and I you know I could I could go on and on and on, but I I don't want to come across like I'm you know a, a hippie sort of um, <laughs> you know ba banging on about um, my cause sort of thing. But what I want people to do is just take a little bit more of an interest in in the native world, how it works, and how we impact the native world because Australia is so um, famous for its wildlife and its biodiversity, and we really do have um, some spectacular species of wildlife that are only endemic to Australia, meaning that they only occur here. And that's that's going to be gone one day if we don't sort of look out for it. And snakes are part of that. 
um, I, I touch on it in my doco where um, a lot of people do not understand that snakes are part of a, a bigger ecosystem and part of the food chain. Um, yes, you know, yes, I, please I, talk about that. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So you, you get comments, um, a lot of comments by people just going, why can't we just get rid of the venomous snakes and what, you know, keep keep the non-venomous ones or or I don't understand snakes. They, you know, I'd wipe them off the planet if I could and they don't understand that they're part of the food chain. So they're, they're a middle order predator. They sit around the middle. They're not top of the food chain. They're not the bottom. But what they do is they provide a food source for animals above them in the food chain and they also keep in check um, populations of other other animals and it's a it's a intricate you know interlinked system um, that we have huge effects on when we start meddling with it and you know really I want people just to understand that they're native wildlife they belong there and you know if you have a new housing estate go in and we move into that housing estate and then people freak out and, and get disgusted that they've got a snake that's uh, so slithered into their yard because you know six months ago that was bushland and now it's a housing estate. Yep. Um, you know I'm not I'm not saying that that all has to stop because it's it's just what we need to do to to continue our species. But um, at least cut the wildlife some slack and and understand that they're coming back into your yard because they're trying to find resources to survive. Because the more we spread, the less their resources uh, effectively get. Exactly. I mean, yep. it really, and, and the, it's the way people perceive uh, different species as well. So, for example, you know, to that point, in my street, there's, I drove down my street today, and there's a whole mob of kangaroos that hang around near the local park. Mm-hmm. And that's because, well, for, they're comfortable there. But also a lot of the land has been taken away, cleared away, but they're quite comfortable in this little bit of bushland and they hang out in this park and people don't really bat an eyelid because it's cute, cuddly kangaroos. But mm-hmm. uh, if that was a whole bunch of snakes hanging out there, people would be up in arms saying, oh, that's, that's not right, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but they're essentially right. forcing them there. Yeah, so you know, have a little bit of empathy for for you know wildlife. Um, they're they're doing their best to survive in in a landscape that is constantly changing. Um, you know, mostly by us um, or at the the cause of us. And um, yeah, I just want people to sort of reframe the way that they perceive snakes um, as these creatures. That yes, some of them do possess venom, um, but they're not intentionally trying to use it on people. And they they really only need that venom to acquire prey and digest their prey, and that's what they're actually trying to use it on, not not humans. Yeah, mm. yeah, such, that's that's a good takeaway. That one, such a great message, mate. That's really really good. And, and listen, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've got a great audience here of people who do love love nature, love getting out into the bush and want to protect and and you know we we value it. Um, and I, I see a lot of your conservation attitude is 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 fantastic and with with the um the snakes and and reptiles that you relocate can i ask a question on uh how how far away do you take them from where you catch them i know that there's a they're not territorial but they have a they have a sort of a a a land where they like to roam 
Um, home range, that's called. Home range for the snake. Yep. And then yep. do, do you think it's it's affects them if you take them out of that range or what's what's your um, approach to relocating them? Yeah, without a doubt. So if, if I do have any sort of, uh, you know, snake catchers that are, that are getting into snake catching and, um, you know, they might be able to take this away, but they did a study over here in, in Western Australia where they got about 10 or 11 dugots, which are, you know, one of our highly venomous larger brown snakes over here, and they translocated them um, a, a range of distances away from uh, where they were caught. Mm. And they radio tracked them and decided to see what would happen to these snakes. And, and unfortunately, all of them died um, through to pr increased predation, you know, coming, getting uh, hit by cars. And, and it's believed that, that basically the snake will try and get back to oh. somewhere that's familiar within its home range. So if you take this snake, you know, more than 500 metres away, you're starting to um, probably se severely affect its survivability in the wild. So, as a snake catcher, what I would what I would do is you've got to come up with a um, a happy medium between what what the what your customer who you're removing it from their house mm. is happy happy with, and what's not going to affect the snake's survivability. So, as a snake catcher, what I would do is I would jump on Google Maps and I would look for the nearest bushland to where I got that snake from because Snakes are all through, you know, urban environments and bushland and they do their utmost best to keep out of our way and just because a snake has been caught once in your house or your yard doesn't mean that if I drop it 100 metres away it's ever going to come back. That's quite a, being caught is quite a stressful thing for a wild animal so um, it's not going to be in a hurry to come back to where it remembers that um, mm, it, it just point. had a, spe you know, stressful experience. So. I, I would hardly ever, I think in the, in the you know, five years that I've been snake catching, I've only ever had one guy report a, car, a carpet python coming back and it was of such similar size and, and that that we couldn't really say for sure whether it was or wasn't the same snake. Um, but basically to answer your question, you've got to keep the snake as close to where you found it um, but get it back into native bushland and, and you know, well, away from... Yeah, that's really interesting. I wasn't quite sure what you'd say there. And uh, do your cu customers, I suppose, ever freak out that you say, "Hey, I'm only taking it, you know, 300 meters away"? Do they do they start to <laughs> sort of? Well, what I'll do is I, you know, I, most of the time I don't have all day to sit there and explain what I've just explained to you guys and sure, more. Sure, sure. So, so I gauge the I gauge the person, and and what I say is, like, I say, look, this is a non-venomous species. Do you mind if we just drop it? Yeah, if, if they've got bushland down their backyard, yeah, I, I would say, look, do you mind if we just put it back in the bush? And a lot of the times, you know, people are happy with that. Um, if it's a venomous species, obviously, I, I don't even ask that question and I take it away. Uh, yeah. And if they ask me where I'm going to drop it, I say, look, you know, far enough away that it's not going to come back, um, but not too far away that it will be out of its home range and it'll probably mm. die trying to get back. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's fascinating. That's tough. That's fascinating. Yeah, right. But, but with the amount of young snake catchers, you know, watching videos like my videos and all, and all the other sort of snake catchers before them, there's been, you know, when I was in southeast Queensland, there was such a spike in, in young guys wanting to do this profession um, for a number of reasons that uh, that piece of information could be really useful for one of those people. Um, 
get you know wants to get into snake catching or you know even if someone is happy uh, to handle snakes they might keep them and if they find a wild one and they want to drop it back in the bush it's handy to know that you can't drop them you know too far um, away from where you got them from yeah that that's really good advice yeah hey, and, hey sorry ross if you um if you were someone who wanted to learn how to handle wild snakes i guess you'd be really reluctant to sort of encourage anyone to to do that and it, it must be there must be this fine line between um sort of telling people that they're, they're quite you know there's a safe that there's not such a scare factor with animal with uh, snakes and then actually you might be encouraging them to approach snakes as well so I'm sorry, that was what I'm trying to get to with that question. Tom's <laughs> do do you need another beer, right. mate? Tom's going to laugh at me right now. Sure he, he knows you already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, It'll probably be a better question if you, you have a beer. You're not going to spell. You're not going to spell out to us right now how to approach a wild snake and handle it, because I think that's irresponsible of you, right? To sort of um, produce you're that. Right. Present yeah. that thought into our mind of how we can do that. But what if we wanted to yeah. learn that? I mean, what, what's your advice there for someone who wants to overcome their fear and be able to handle a wild snake if they? Uh, I, I don't know why they would want to. I suppose, but <laughs> no, but, it's it, Craig. But you, it's a great question. It's a great question because <laughs> it wasn't put out um, too well. I'm really well, sorry yeah, about that. I, I got there in the end. I got. I yeah, jeez. So, we might have to play that back to him. <laughs> No, I got there, and it is a it is a really good um, piece of information to get out there. And and if if you are interested in becoming a snake catcher, um, you know either as in a professional sense to do it as a job, or you may be one of these people that live rurally and you don't have the option to call a snake catcher. So you might go, well, you know, I'm interested in snakes. They they interest me enough. I'm not terrified of them, and I might go and do a venomous snake handling course. Uh, people that want to complete you know, that training just need to reach out to their local uh, venomous snake handling course provider. And if you Google you know, venomous snake handling courses and then your location, um, I'm sure that these you know, guys are all over the internet and you'll be able to track one down um, you know, in, your, in your sort of nearest major town. And uh, that's one way you can do it. Um, I, I don't recommend sort of just going out there and and trying your arm at it um, because it's yeah it is it is dangerous there's a lot to learn even when you do your your courses there's still so much to learn so don't think that after that you'll be you'll be good to go but another handy piece of advice I sort of pass on to to younger people or people wanting to get into it is try and find someone that has a collection of venomous snakes or even just a couple because any experience is valuable experience so if you can get over to these people's houses. Um, like me, for example, I, when I was working in Toowoomba, I called up the local snake catcher and he also ran a display, a reptile display business where he'd go and educate kids in schools or, or um, daycares and stuff. So he had, you know, 50 or 60 snakes at his residence. So I would go over there, I'd offer to clean the cages, I'd pull the reptiles out, I'd play with them all and, and that that would just add to your experience. So that's a, that's yeah. an idea as well. I think uh, I'm a pretty big believer in it and, you know, whether it's scientifically proven or not, I, I wouldn't know, but I'm a pretty big believer in when you're around any kind of wildlife, if, if you're kind of emitting that, uh, that, that fear, perhaps 
perhaps it's not detected, but you're going to move differently. Either way, you're going to react differently to a situation. So if you're very calm around mm-hmm. around snakes because you've spent so much time around them, you're not going to make as many, if any, foolish kind of movements, and you're going to have a bit of better understanding about their reactions, aren't you? Oh, it, it is literally like anything. If I, if I gave you a camera and said, off you go, um, you probably wouldn't, want, wouldn't know what to do with it uh, unless you had some sort of um, prior experience, training, um, exposure to, you know, working with cameras. It's the same yep. with snakes um, or, or any other wildlife. And, well, um, I don't know. I've, I don't think I've had my, um, my camera try and bite my face off before, but, yeah, <laughs> I guess it's the well, same. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you've never jumped off a rock and it's flown up and hit you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, man. No, I, get, I totally get your point. Uh, you know, just, so, I think so, for the layman, there's this, they're just thinking, wow, it's just such an incredible, uh, the way that you interact with these things is incredible. Yeah, I think that's what we should have a quick chat about, mate. Is some oh, of the, I definitely want to get to that. Yeah, definitely want to talk to you about some of the images of you getting right down up close and personal with a camera in your hand looking mm-hmm. through a lens, that, mate. That's um, that's exactly what struck me the first time I saw that. I pictured in my head, Ross, that uh, there's this guy, because the first time I saw your shots mm-hmm. and then I went to the rest of your gallery and yeah. uh, I thought, oh, wow, you know. It's pretty good these days. You can have one of those massive um, two-foot-long kick-ass zoom yep. lenses, sit yep. back and get these these awesome shots. Like, and then oh, I think I was looking at your website and there was a photograph of you laying down mm-hmm. flat on your stomach uh, with mm-hmm. your elbows just flat on the ground and this, mm-hmm. this snake is rearing up in front of you. And, yep. uh that's when I said, that's exactly when I said to Craig, check this out. We've got to talk to this dude. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is he doing? What is going on yeah. here? Well, I, f- firstly, I, I try and disclose now to, to everyone when I do those videos and when I show any footage, usually I try and keep myself out of it, but you know, people do want to see the behind-the-scenes footage. They want to get to know the person behind the camera and, and that sort of thing. And whenever I put any of that footage in there, um, I sort of disclose that I, I really don't want people trying to do what I do without the training and experience, um, you know, because I don't want young kids looking at it and going, oh, yeah, it's okay to get that close to, to deadly snakes or venomous snakes. It's a really um, good point. That's that's what I sort of had to get out of the way to start with, and then mm. um, then what I what I do is I use a wide angle lens, um, and I get as close to the subject as possible, and that and that really depends on the the individual temperament of the snake, and and that's something that I've gotten very good at judging, um, and you know if if the snake is being too defensive, um, then you know, I'll take into account the length of that snake and how venomous it is and all that sort of thing and I'll sort of keep back a bit and, and I might use a bit of zoom on my lens because um, I use a, a 17 to 35 mil Tamron. So I've got a little bit to play with there. That's not big enough, man. <laughs> it's, not big, uh, it's, it's not big enough for, for, for everyone else. But, 
<laughs> but it's what I like to work with and you know the closer I can get the better and I really really rely on um, my judgment for that and it's something that you can't just go and do a venomous snake handling course and then jump right into um, mm. but I you know I also use um, other other things to keep me safe and um, I do sort of push the boundaries a, a little bit but um, I've been doing it for long enough now that I like to think I know what I'm doing and and I'm sure I'm going to be fine. In, in terms of the, uh, and you demonstrated this quite well in, in the video we keep referring to, mm-hmm. and you also said earlier in the podcast, they if, you, if you're completely still, they don't uh, understand uh, that, you're even, that you even exist. So mm-hmm. when you're working that closely with these snakes, uh, is it your, are you, it, does the camera become... Uh, the how would you say it is the camera become the predator in this case are they focused on the camera as being the thing that's agitating them or are you attached to the camera uh, it can be a combination of both but but usually the re- when I get so close like when you when you see me so close to these snakes the snake has already decided that I'm not um, a serious threat so the snake is calming down it's realizing that I'm calm um, mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm working with that particular individual so that it stays as calm as possible I stay as calm as possible and I you know I move extremely slowly uh, so that it doesn't get you know frightened and and intimidated by my presence and then that that allows me to sort of get closer and closer um, but you, uh, yeah, the camera, it doesn't matter, the camera, me, a- anything foreign and moving in front of it, uh, it has the potential to, to strike out at. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll have a, a welding glove on my hand and I'll hold that to the side and, and that'll capture the snake's attention. And, mm-hmm. you know, one or two times the snake latches onto the welding glove or something like that. But, you know, I know that what size that species fangs are and I know what um, I can get away with and, um, that's sort of how how I do it, but yeah, uh, it's a calculated risk in, in it's, every. It's calculated. different every time, I'm guessing. And yeah, and for yeah. A, for our yeah. listeners, I mean, Ross is is definitely within striking distance. Oh uh, yeah, you, you see one of these photographs of Ross uh, in action, and, and it's like thirty centimeters. Some something. of the best uh, photographs of of um, wild snakes I've ever seen. And do you um do you, you use these photos for anything other than Instagram? I probably should have. Oh, Craig, L- let into. me just segue. You can actually purchase Ross's images. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Tell me, Tom. What's, uh, all, you can get them on canvases. With these, with you can images. get them framed. You can select a whole bunch of stuff oh, wow. from his website. Uh, oh, wow. And oh, I'm telling you right now that listeners are going to have a look at your stuff and they're going to be as blown away. It's not just snakes either. There are some really cool um, reptiles, but... It's the positions that you get these snakes in that blows my mind. That they're they're so attentive and and you get right up in their face. Uh, as you say, you know you're obviously not trying to um, get them agitated or anything, but at the same time you're getting these reactions as if they're looking straight into the lens, and that's mm. what is the true beauty of the images that come out when you've. It's almost like. A, a little window into what it would be like to lay on the ground in the dirt like you do. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, that that comes with that you know getting on their perspective because if you if you think about um, the way humans like view the world, it's from you know varying in height, but it's from you know roughly around six feet high. Mm. And when you look down on a snake from six feet, you get a perspective of what it would be like for a human. But when you lay down and you're on that snake's level then you can see what potentially an animal of similar size would see if it came across this animal. So Yeah, it's, it's a very good point. Yeah, that's the way I like to portray them and, and getting that low also helps me get the background in, which is what I uh, really try to do to, to tell the story of where that snake lives. So if you, you know, if you know different habitat types and you guys might, might know a few from being avid, avid sort of outdoorsmen, you know, you can sort of see that, oh, that's the desert death adder and that spin effects behind it and, you know, or that's a coastal taipan and that's, um, you know, tropical woodland behind the coastal taipan. Most and, definitely. And it, it's all not the a, It's not are, a picture of a snake. It's a, you've, you've captured the entire world that it lives yeah. in as well. Yep. And, and that's, that's sort of what I try and do because I was very drawn to what, landscape photography um, and sort of travel photography when I started out. And when I got into reptile photography, I didn't sort of want to do what everyone else was doing where they would just sort of get up on a 45-degree angle and shoot down on the snake and, and yes. they, would get all, they would get all the features of the snake and, and they were perfect for, for snake identification books. But I, I really wanted to tie in, um, I thought, you know, would it, would, would it be great if you could get a landscape photo with that beauty but the snake in it so that's yeah. what i try and that's what i try you, and do you know what it just occurred to me what they're like are you familiar with what a diorama is a diorama yeah um, diorama is when say for example you make a model mm -hmm. let's say you make a model of a old horse and cart yep uh a scale model and instead of just sticking that on on the, a bookshelf you actually make a little piece of uh, dirt and then you might have miniature trees and a, yeah. and a broken fence that, yep. that's what it just reminded me of as you were talking then i was looking at a couple yeah. and i thought they look like miniature worlds as if you've got um all of this stuff and positioned it so perfectly and then got this this um fake snake that nobody could ever get that close to <laughs> and yep. just laid it in there absolutely perfectly so it really is a moment in time uh, in the life of one of these little buggers. Yep, yep. No, that's that's great feedback, guys. I, I appreciate you sort of going into that much depth and, and sort of, you know, really s sort of looking into my work that much and um, giving oh, me that feedback. No, it's fascinating. I think you've what you're doing is bringing... Now, I, I don't think until a few years ago, I don't think I ever called a snake beautiful mm -hmm. until... Uh, you know, the more and more time we spent outdoors and the more interactions I had, I encountered a enormous, enormous python. I will send you a link. I think mm -hmm. even you'll be, uh, you'll appreciate this. It's somewhere in the vicinity of 18 foot, maybe going to 20, somewhere around there. What location? Uh, Mount Me, so up the back of the Aguilar Ranges there. Yep. And I was hiking by myself and I I climbed down onto this ledge and I was taking photos for about 25, 30 minutes off this ledge. 
Yep. Uh, which was probably about three meters by three meters. Yep. And then I, you know how you look at the back of the camera to review your images? Yep. You sort of hold it down around your waist and I was reviewing images and then I looked over the top of the camera <laughs> and there was a massive balled up python there. Yep. Just looking at me the entire time I'd been there. Mm. And I I did the kind of breath thing. I went <gasps> and then just uh it was very early in the morning, so he hadn't even the sun hadn't even hit him yet. He was real slow. I backed my way out of there. Uh, took a couple of photos. I went for a hike for about an hour or so, and on the way back, I checked in, and he was just coming out into the sun, and started doing this big circle around, getting his whole body out, and yep. and I've got all, a lot of film footage of that, and I remember that that's I I looked at this thing, and and the sun was shining on it, and there was blue, like a dark blue, shimmering through it. Mm -hmm it's uh skin and then i just remember that moment that's when i thought that there was a this thing is beautiful and that, yeah and that that's great it was majestic and yep. the way that it moved its head and the way that it moved its body i was captivated i sat there for near on an hour just watching this thing uh yep. from the ledge above and just talking to it and and just uh, i i Later that day, I saw another two. They must have been really yep. on the move. Yep. But nothing was as big as this thing. I've never seen a snake in captivity or out of captivity as big as this snake. And it was in yeah, pristine awesome. condition. Yep. So, yeah, yeah well, uh, I'm going to send you a link to that video. That's that's great, man. And, and you've just explained what can be achieved if you sort of increase your understanding about snakes your fear will naturally decrease the more you understand about them. And then hopefully, you know, if, you, if you're interested in wildlife and the outdoors, you can get to a place where you, when you see a snake, um, all these irrational fears don't take over and, and you lose your mind and you can actually sit there and observe it. And as long as you're not provoking a defensive reaction from that snake or making it feel threatened, treat it as any other bit piece of wildlife and really appreciate the the moment because you can you can walk into a zoo and see a captive snake or you can have moments like that that you'll remember forever mm. yeah no it's definitely stuck with me that one uh speaking of of the nature of snakes not only do you have absolutely fantastic photographs of these tiger snakes from is it pronounced karnak island mm -hmm. but you you spoke in your video of the the nature of the Karnak Island tiger snake mm. was completely different, maybe not completely different, but largely different to a mainland tiger snake mm -hmm. of the same kind. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So they're the exact same species, but um, they've been isolated over there on that island and they haven't had the... Uh, I guess the predatory pressures um, that the, the mainland snakes have had and they just get to cruise around over there. They don't have anything really harassing them other than the the, the mother and father seagulls that are trying <laughs> yeah. to protect their their chicks from being eaten by the tiger snakes. But uh, they're just, um, I was just a, really taken back by how placid um, in nature that they were. You know, I 
you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but I was I picked one up and I was just sort of handling it and um, I could just I could just tell from the way I interacted with this snake during the photography session that this thing was just the biggest chiller in the world. It had no interest. Nothing to worry about. It, 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 yeah, it didn't show one piece of defensive behavior. And I, again, I entirely don't recommend um, free handling or picking up. No, snakes. no, but I, I think our all, listeners but, are educated but, enough to know but, you. You're not only yeah. a professional in that field, but yes, you, yes. you're spending a large portion of your life with these creatures. So I think yep. we need to take that in consider- into consideration. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so does that? Yeah, I don't know. Does no, that, that, does I, that just sort of... it, I just found it. I just blew my mind that the same species uh, has a, a different trait uh, based on how it's evolved on that isolated island. I just, it just uh, because it, it kind of brings me. By the way, those Karnak Island tiger snake photos are absolutely fantastic. In, in what you were saying before, they're just showing that coastal, beautiful coastal sand and and grass and cliffs and sky in the background. Cheers, Tom. Captures everything, mate. Uh, yeah, because you've you've ha- you've been overseas and interacted with other snakes, right? Uh, yeah, so um, not as much as I'd like. I've been hitting Australia pretty hard, but last year I went over to Arizona and uh, got to, to go to the Arizona desert and photograph a lot of rattlesnakes and a few different species yeah, that, of reptile. Those things are insane. Great they photos. Look, they look scary too, hey? <laughs> well, yeah, they, look, they... They have a pretty intimidating defensive behavior, but when you really start to understand rattlesnakes, um, they're actually even, I would say in many cases, less dangerous, you know, in in nature to our snakes because they will will just sit there and and hide from you because they don't want to be detected. And then if you get too close, many of them will use their rattle and and warn you that they're there, Mm. um, which is... Which is saying something in itself. This this animal has devised an evolutionary warning device to warn you that it's venomous yeah, and hey, dangerous. Hey, I'm over and, here. I'm over here. And to here. say, don't step on me. You know, and and you think about you think about larger mammalian, uh, you know, animals or just anything larger that's going to step on those snakes. Their rattle is there just to say, hey, I'm here. Leave me alone. Yeah, it's fantastic. But, but because they can rattle so fast and so loud, it just adds an audible, you know, um, intimidation sort of element to, to their <laughs> to their defensive posture. And then what they'll do is they'll go, okay, I need to look larger. So I'm in a coil. I'll raise my, you know, forebody and head off the ground and I'll use this rattle. And if people can't, if, if something comes too close, I'll, I'll lash out and strike at it. And everyone perceives that as aggression but it's really defensive in nature. If it was really, truly aggressive, that snake would be on your leg like you wouldn't believe. If, if you were a rodent, you know, you know what I mean? They would treat yeah, you. Yeah. They would treat you like prey well, and you wouldn't be getting away. You're not, but you're not going uh, to get a warning rattle if, no. it was, if it was really trying to, yep. oh, hey, there's a human. I'm just going to shut up here. Do not yeah. move the tail. Whatever you do, don't move the rattle. <laughs> yeah. Because that's going to be the purpose, right? But if you're saying that you're getting these, uh, you know, it's saying, hey, just so you know, I'm over here. It's like the kind of the hay bear thing, you know, when you're walking in bear country over there, you, you're just kind of calling out, hey, bear. And <laughs> yeah. the yeah. purpose of that is just so that they hear your voice 
way before you accidentally get cornered or cross paths and they think, oh, I can hear something coming. Not really interested in meeting anything today. I'll move on. Yeah. And And, and that's what our larger snakes, you know, that's what our larger snakes often do. You don't see them. They're gone. They... They hear hear or see you coming and they're either fleeing, they're hiding or, you know, in in some cases if you get too close and that snake doesn't feel like it can flee or hide, that's when they opt to defend themselves. Mm. You you spoke about those. One of those behaviors uh, where they do sit still and almost rely on being motionless or camouflage. Cri- what was crypsis, the name? Yeah. Crypsis. The crypsis. Yeah. Crypsis. I couldn't remember that as a, uh, a yep. word I'd never heard in my in my whole life. And uh, it's. Um, I well, guess you, you better explain heard, it now. <laughs> you would have heard cryptic. You know, cryptic yes. behaviour. Cryptic yes. this. Yes. Cryptic messages. Cryptic just means hidden, um, and it comes from a Greek word um, called crypsis with a K and. Uh, it just means hidden or concealed, and and it's just a behaviour that wild animals do because they're trying to survive. Um, their mm. their their whole evolutionary purpose is to survive, so they they can breed and pass on their genetics. It's not it's not to go and hunt and kill humans. Yeah, that's um, what you're very clear about. Is yeah, th- they're not getting up in the morning thinking, all right, now let's go get into some fights so that I can. Yeah break a fang yeah. or get so a rock a dropped on or me or <laughs> have my head caved yeah, in or shot exactly. off or, or yeah, yeah have a, a dog yeah. bite me and, no, it's, and so yeah. ross do you have troubles finding a lot of snakes i uh, wonder if if it's uh, if you're some sort of magnet for snakes out there when you go for <laughs> when you go out on the trails or do you have to do something to find them like what's what's your process Oh man, that that's such a it's such a big question because um, it really depends on. Like I can, you know, anyone can sort of walk out in in the wild and sort of uh, go looking for snakes and see what they bump into. But when you get to the level that that I'm yeah um, at, I'm I'm really trying to increase my chances. And yeah. and what what increases my chances of an encounter is knowing as much about that snake species as possible or that reptile species as possible. So. Firstly, I've got to jump on and find where the records are, find out where, what, you know, if I'm in a part of Australia, what species are there. Um, I'll do myself a wish list if I'm going on a, on a big trip to, to look for a certain amount of species that I want to photograph. And then I've got to figure out, you know, the distribution, so where, where they are in Australia. I've got to figure out their habits, um, their ecology, so how their relationship between their environment um, how they use their environment, so uh, you know what they what they prey on. So if I'm putting all that together, and I use tiger snakes as a as a typical example, and I go, okay, well I know that tiger snakes live around wetlands and river systems and and river margins, um, and they live there because they predominantly hunt frogs. So then I know that they're diurnal, so they're active at daytime. Um, so I might go out at about eight o'clock in the morning where they're going to be coming out to bask and because they're not fully warm yet and they're on the move looking for prey they're just sort of sitting there basking i've got a better chance of seeing them Hmm. whereas later in the day if they're on the move they're you know they're traveling around through reeds and grass looking for frogs and you know their detectability is lower than say those early hours of the morning where they're just warming up 
So all of that comes into play when I sort of go out and find animals mm. uh, or species to photograph. Um, so there's more to it than just sort of. You, um, you have a good eye for it too. Like anybody that oh, yeah. dedicated, yep. you'd, you'd, I'd say, oh, yeah, there's a, that's a pretty cool stick. And you go, no, that's actually a, <laughs> yeah, that's a Wrigley stick. I'll give you an example. Uh, just two afternoons ago, um, we'd all finished and I'm working out on an airfield. So there's, there's not too many humans around and there's lots of bushland around. And I'm working out on an airfield and we go out to the, the fire ute. And I'm the last one out. And I put my bag down on the ground so that I can undo the tornado cover to, to load my bag in the back of the ute. And all three of the guys had got in and, and were sitting in the ute and put their bags in the back. And then just as I put my bag down, you know, not 30 centimetres from my bag was a, a little legless lizard that was only probably as thin as a pencil and, and not much longer. But all those guys walked around it, walked over it, um, didn't, didn't see it one bit and then, you know, mm. My, my eyes will just pick up anything that yeah. looks like a, a snake because you, you do train your eyes to Oh, to most know, definitely. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, to pick that stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And uh, you, you're basically almost building up this neurological kind of uh, recognition chain where your your brain's going to be faster at uh, identifying these things and, and telling a difference between a, a stick and a legless lizard quicker than the... Yeah the average yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, fascinating and, you know i do it all the time when i'm driving um you know i can i can spot a tiny little you know five centimeter gecko on the road at 100 k's an hour because i'm <laughs> your, <laughs> your eyes are your eyes are trained to to doing it so much so that you're you're probably more looking at the road than you are um just off in the horizon like everyone else does when they and they drive and you know we passed on on the way back from work this afternoon we passed a one meter long dead snake on the road and i said oh there's a dead snake just there and the guy beside me is like he was he was looking at the front of the windscreen and looking where we were going but eyes weren't trained to pick it up so um mm. and then right. that is a bit of a shame because um so many people hit wildlife like you were talking about um you know pressures that the wildlife faces and a lot like millions of of reptiles get killed on the roads every year because people aren't um, watching where they're going and you know so i understand sometimes it can't be avoided but um just a simple small correction you could you could miss yeah. a, a lizard or a snake basking on the road and well that's and, um, that same uh hike i was telling you about so after i saw that enormous snake uh i hiked that area then i jumped in the car to drive to another little hiking spot and yep. i was cruising down the like, four-wheel drive track probably I was probably only doing 40 or 50 kilometers an hour just cruising and uh, I saw a snake completely from one side of the road to the other but it just looked like um, a shadow because by that time of the day the shadows were stretching the full length from the trees if you know what I mean. Yep. So, But it just looked darker and at the last second I hit the skids and kind of turned the wheel a bit went a bit sideways but I, I didn't uh i pulled up with it probably about a meter from it and yep. uh jumped out first thing i thought was oh no i hope i haven't touched this i jumped out and had a look and and she was all good she was not even that uh really concerned she just had a yep. bit of a look and then uh i just i just crouched down at the side of the road and um and watched her go cruise away before i you know just in case another car came up behind me 
And uh, yeah, off she went. Yeah, pretty yep. calm. Even after that interaction, there was no hint of uh, being interested in me or anything. No, no, you know, like I like I keep saying, they 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 really want nothing to do with you. They don't really represent anything. Um, you know, mm. when we're in their presence, we don't represent anything useful to them. So, mm. um, yeah, a lot of them will just have a look at you and, and keep cruising. And you know, I've even had snakes be curious, like you get, you know, you get a lady. Not too long ago, was saying that she was swirl black and blue. That she watched a taipan, you know, come up and investigate um, her kids jumping on the trampoline, and um, you know, it watched them and stuff like this. And she was making it out like this thing came out of the bush, intentionally trying to stalk her and her children. And I said, "Do, do you not understand that maybe an animal might be curious as to whether you're a um, a predator or not, and and whether it's safe to get by you?" Um, mm. So it might actually come up to you and observe you for a while, um, actually trying to figure out, okay, well, is this a danger to me or can I get past here? Yeah, exactly. And knowing that the amount of noise that my kids make on our trampoline, holy heck, you certainly wouldn't be checking it out to see if there was something to eat there. It's incredible. Yeah, you know, it's like World those, War Three. Yeah, and those vibrations would also be, you know, yeah, those impacts. through the ground impacts, and everything. Yeah, be transferred into the ground. So. You know, snakes can also pick those up as well. But, mate, I'm still I'm still struggling to to work out this deep, deep love. And I understand that you know you've said that you care about all wildlife, but but you're just absolutely besotted with with snakes <laughs> reptiles, and reptiles. Yeah. Like, man, it's just a, a love. I would say a deep. Uh, it goes beyond appreciation. It's just a it's a love, and it's really really cool to listen to well you know it's in my nature that you know that was in my nature from from a young age but you know if you look at my other job I'm a firefighter as well so I do I do like to help people but as as well as the animals and I'm sort of I guess I try and position myself as a bit of a buffer between um, you know people and reptiles and there's a huge um, I guess loss of information there, and, and there's a huge amount of education and awareness that can sort of work or work to be done. Mm -hmm. um, so I just sort of try and and be that medium between both, and, and I get a kick out of you know helping people overcome their fears, helping them understand what they need to do, keep their pets and family safe. But then I also get a kick out of look if I've got all these group of people that now don't hate snakes and they're killing snakes. You're helping the species or the the group as a whole, and uh, you're also helping the people. So it's a, mm. it's, it's, your a, it's a win win. That's yeah, right. It's, it's your approach also that that that's the way that in which you're doing. And I have to say, when I first saw your photography, uh, you know, I was guilty of of assuming this was a a one dimensional approach. So, mm -hmm. oh, this guy. Uh, really loves snakes and he's found a niche and he um or perhaps he just really likes taking photos of snakes but to find out that that you've actually worked in so closely with snakes and and that you know things like conservation and and helping those species is such a big part it's just kind of it's just such a much more interesting uh, story, so it, it's uh, yeah, rounds it awesome. Out. Yeah, no, it really does because yeah. what what you're doing is you're presenting to the public. You're presenting this absolutely beautiful 
uh, images of the snake. So first of all, we've got that visual thing. Then you're backing it up with all the educational information you put on your posts. And then now this, this fantastic video, which I'd like to call that a resource because personally, mm -hmm. I want to go back and watch it again because I don't think I grasped everything in, in one watch. Uh, but then you're also doing things like this where you're just, you know, talking so openly and passionately about uh, about your love for these these snakes. And I've, I've just got to say, mate, it's just it's just such a a pleasure to listen to you. And I'm I'm, I'm so glad that we that we uh, got in contact and hooked up for this conversation. Mm. Likewise, mate. I think this is hands down the best one I've done so far, and it really um, you touched on a lot of a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about and sort of get across to an audience. And you guys have done your homework as well, and it and it's also refreshing that you've um, been following me for such a long time. Because when you when you reach out to me, um, I've you know I've got so many people on Facebook and Instagram that um, it's it's sort of hard to know everyone. So absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's I understand that. that. It's the same with us. We get we get hit up for all different things, but um, yeah, mate, know. we've um, we've definitely encountered a number of snakes. We've had we've got stories. Tom's got plenty of stories. He'll tell you about them. <laughs> and um, it's great to have someone with your experience and expertise just to bounce a few things off. And I'm sure our listeners are going to um, be glad we asked you some of those things because. You know, you, you, you shoot pretty straight with, with what, what should be done and, and how we should be thinking about snakes. And, you know, it, that, that's – in Australia, we don't have bears. We don't – well, we do have crocodiles. Yeah, should we, we do talk crocs. about crocodiles? No, I think that's – I think that, that you <laughs> – you see that crocodiles aren't, aren't spread as far or wide. You know no. what I'm saying? Like a, a snake's something you're going to yeah. encounter everywhere. Yeah, yeah. so we, 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 we do enter the, the wilderness and we think, oh, well, probably the worst case scenario is getting bitten by a snake in in our in southeast Queensland here. So, yeah, I, I get that um, it's got a bit of fear and it's it's a big yep. topic for us. So thanks so much for coming in and sharing all your knowledge, mate. It's great. No worries, guys. Anytime, I'd be happy to come back and share more down the track as well. Yeah, fantastic. We'd love to catch up with you in your future and see what crazy stuff uh, or what crazy country you're going to next time to <laughs> to yeah. check out some snakes there. Yeah, well, COVID's having a bit of an effect on that, so yeah, yeah understandable. Stay tuned for more uh, more of Australia for now. Yeah, and no, I'm glad that you're still getting out there. Uh, it's it's great that your job's putting you in a position at this particular time as well where you can access. Uh, a few snakes in in the arvo if you get time. <laughs> yep, yep, and yeah, and you know, it's, yeah, helps me helps me sort of maintain the 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 passion without having too much obligation there of of trying to make a a huge living out of it or anything like that. And yeah, I always sort of say that is passion is or obligation is the death of your passion. As soon as you have to, you know, have to do it because because of all these other reasons other than the fact that you're just passionate about it then it then it really is it can become quite a drag so mm -hmm. but the important thing is you've got to be doing it um yeah, yeah. well and, and on that note i mean please just keep doing what you're doing because i my i guess my goal for getting you on uh the podcast was to was to demystify snakes i think we've successfully done that was mm -hmm. to as you said, make people take a breath and stop and, and just chill out for a second when they encounter something and mm -hmm. also start 
having an appreciation for the physical beauty and also the beauty in their behaviors and the, the way that they conduct themselves because they're, they're a fascinating reptile and uh, they're, they're part of the ecosystem here. They're not going anywhere and nor should they. So mm-hmm. keep doing what you're doing, mate, and, and uh, educating people. That's fantastic. Yeah, well, well said, mate. Well said. All right, mate. Well, thanks so much for your time tonight. As I said, it's been a pleasure. Craig, you got anything to add? No, that's it. Thanks for sharing, Ross. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Good on you, mate. Take care out there and keep sending those images because uh, I love it every time they pop up on Instagram. No worries. Thanks for having me, legends. All right. Okay. See you, matey. See ya. Bye. See ya. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, we'd really appreciate your ratings and comments if you can spare the time. If you'd like to know more about Hike or Die TV and keep track of our adventures around Australia, make sure you drop by hikeordie.com. That's where you'll find all the information you'll need to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or Pinterest. As always, we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.